Hello, good evening, and welcome to another edition of the Cantina Mekis podcast. My name is John Jagu. Very happy to have you guys along with us this evening. It's uh, a special Wednesday edition of the podcast this week because of the fact that uh, the Liguilla is playing two games on Thursday, and uh, the second game would be over at midnight, and that would uh, make it a little difficult for us to talk about that. So we decided to have a more of a preview and talk about last what happened in the quarterfinals instead, which is why we're doing a Wednesday edition. Also, have a Wednesday edition. Uh, on this Wednesday edition, we will have John Arnold join us from Goal.com. He covers Concacaf. Mexico and FC Dallas for the Dallas Morning News, and he's also a contributor on the BBC's uh, World Football Phone, and so happy to have him along, and he's going to talk to us uh, about uh, Costa Rica in our continuing series of previewing the World Cup, but we're up to Group E, and he will uh, help us dissect that group, and he will actually come on here uh, very shortly, and uh, happy to have him on. But like we said, we're going to discuss uh, some Liguilla tonight. Going to discuss football estufa. We got to get into the the Chivas crisis center. I mean, good lord, it's uh, it's only been three or four days since their last game, and it's you know the the, the novela is is really is really heating up. They must know it, it's it's sweeps week because uh, Chivas are coming out with the news hard and heavy. We will get into that as well. So happy to have you guys along. We are live. Uh, we normally uh, live Thursdays. Tonight's Wednesday, so we're live Wednesday tonight on YouTube. And of course, you can listen to this. And all previous editions of our podcast, you can download those from the podcast center on iTunes on your iPhone. And I think we're also on Google Play, so you can also access our podcast from Google Play as well. Well, like I said, my name is John Jagu. Our panel will be joining us uh, here shortly, but we do want to move on. And uh, the first thing we want to do is bring on our special guest. So just uh, give us a second so we can get him all hooked up here. We will uh, do that here momentarily. Hopefully we'll uh, plan it right with the uh, right with the stinging of the music. It's always uh, it's always good to do that. So let's see if we can if we can time that uh, with Mr. Arnold here shortly. Hopefully, like in about. Uh, All right, here we go. Stand by. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we do have another special guest with us in our continuing series of previewing the World Cup group by group. We're up to Group E. Uh, last week we had uh, Group D with uh, Kit McConico, and uh, joining us here to talk Group E is a gentleman who is the uh, beat writer for CONCACAFANGOL.com, and he's also the uh, uh, – writes for the uh, Dallas Morning News when it comes to FC Dallas and uh, is a regular contributor to uh, BBC's World Football Phone-In. It's a pleasure to have him with us. Please welcome John Arnold to the show. Wow, I don't know what to do after that. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, yeah, ready to talk some Group E. Well, before we get to Group E, John, uh, there are a couple of things I wanted to, to, to talk to you about. Uh, the, the first one is uh, that this is something that's been bothering me for, for a couple of years now, and maybe it's been bothering you too, but uh, and I know you're a Fort Worth native, and I have to ask you, what is up with TCU fans? Why on earth are they so obnoxious? 
No, you know, I don't, look, I, I'm a Fort Worth guy, and I think Fort Worth is becoming like a cooler and nicer place uh, day by day. And, and it's, it's you know, despite the fact that I live in Dallas, I, I prefer it to Dallas. TCU fans, that's, I don't claim that, right? I'm a Texas Tech fan, so I left before the whole college thing. And, and now I think TCU, they've been the little brother for so long, and now that they're like sort of getting a little status, they don't know what to do with it. You know, I, I guess it's sort of like who could we compare them to in the? I mean, look, maybe the U.S. fans of the of the uh, of Big Twelve. You know, the U.S. fans they get a little success. Well, maybe we don't know what to do with it, and then all of a sudden, uh, you kind of get what's coming to you uh, for not taking care of stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, but so. but I'm I'm a I'm a proud Texas Tech graduate, as as many people know. Well, guns up for that. Everyone, uh, you know, every, everyone makes mistakes early in their career, so we won't hold that against you. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, actually, uh, I I do. Uh, I will say this about love: like it's a heck of a lot better than going to wake up. So that's all I have to say about the. About uh, about Lovick. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you, John, this is what we ask of all our guests. And again, again, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but the guy we asked last week, we asked him, you know, how he was came to be like what team he follows. He gave us this long spiel about being uh, the president of the club, giving him a tour down in, in uh, River Plate. <laughs> And uh, you know they walked through the installation. They walked to the trophy room. Ended up on the on, on the on the plane service at the Monumental. And so from that point on, you're a River Plate fan. So again, no pressure, no pressure. But uh, I just uh, want to ask you, how how did the Sorting Hat come about picking the team that you that, that you favor? So yeah, this won't be a good story at all because the truth is, and and this is not. I get that this isn't like a satisfying answer, but the truth is. As a journalist, I really, really do try and maintain myself as neutral as possible. Certain years, I enjoy watching certain teams more. I, you know, like I really enjoyed watching Pachuca during their runs when they had Irving Lozano. I liked what Diego Alonso did. You know, like now this year, like I'm not like following Pachuca and getting sad when they lose or anything. So I don't know. I, just because of local, you know, I grew up here, you know, I, I guess FC Dallas, but at the same time now I cover FC Dallas. So it's been a real struggle for me. Like when people ask me, especially like good old party. Oh, you, you write about soccer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who's your Premier League team? I don't really, I don't, I don't like to get up in the morning and, you know, I watch the highlights, but okay, you Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I appreciate how Barcelona plays, but, you know, Madrid has a night, you know, so it's, I realize it's unsatisfying and I don't have a great anecdote, but, uh, man, I just kind of stay down the middle. That, that, that's how you're going a long way to avoiding or, the or, Club America fan. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> or, Jan, or just how did you cut in? How did you get into football? So that, I mean, I think is a little more, like, romantic, I guess. You know, I, I grew up like most, uh, maybe most American kids. I grew up in Kansas, actually was there for 11 years, played a little bit of, of soccer, but also played, you know, baseball, American football, whatever. We moved to Texas when I was about 11, but every four years I was really fascinated by the World Cup. My grandparents actually took me to uh, Kansas City Wizards games, because before they changed their name to the Wiz, and before they changed their name now, again. Now I feel old. Uh, <laughs> he started with the win. Now, now I feel old. So, I, so I do remember the rainbow color jersey. Yeah. So in '96 and '97, went to a couple games there, uh, and and you know, like it, it followed the World Cup in '98, and got really into it in uh, in 2002. Started realizing, like, you know, hey, these guys do something other than this every four years, right? And that's why I sort of. Discovered the club game, you know, like a lot of people in the U.S. A, my family didn't have a ton of money to spend on on crazy channels, and B, you really couldn't even do that back uh, in the early 2000s. So I started watching Mexican soccer on Univision, 
and, and really that's where I started to have the desire to learn more about the Mexican game, about the Mexican culture, to pick up Spanish and that sort of thing. So I guess in some ways uh, it's Univision's fault and, and the fact that, that American television didn't have as many options as it has now that, I, that I've become much of a, of a fan and advocate, hopefully, for, for the local game. You know, speaking broadly, the, the game in the region in CONCACAF throughout, you know, the U.S., Mexico, down through Central America. So, uh, yeah, just kind of picking it up through the World Cup. Now I, I play, but I never played at a high level at all. Uh, and, and that is still certainly true today. I'm a garbage uh, garbage player as the guys who I play with every Saturday will tell you. But, uh, but yeah, that's where it all started. So as, as a garbage player, what, what, what position do you play? I, I like to play uh, fullback just because it gives me enough – uh, illusion that I could kind of get forward and attack if I had the physical capability. You know, oh, I could make a run here and, and, and help out the attack, um, but, but I'm not exposed enough on the defense where an error I make can't be covered up by a better player. So are you are you an enforcer? Do you uh, put the leg in when you have to? You know, the only thing I can really do with any competence is sort of run. I, I can, I'm not fast, but I can run for a long time. So I would say, like, I wait everyone out for the first part of the game and then have a little bit of energy at the end and, and can make a run or two, so... That, that's my strategy is, is just chill, be invisible for a while, and then at the end of the game when everyone's tired, I can still kind of put a, put a, few, uh, put a few moves on. Oh, well, the U.S. has been using that strategy for 20 years. so it, uh... I'm waiting to call up any day, you know. <laughs> now, we did bring you on, John, to talk about Group E. And uh, the reason we brought you on to Group E is because, obviously, you, uh, you do follow CONCACAF outside of Mexico more than, than, than most. We really, really are doing the Lord's work uh, in that. <laughs> and uh, one of the teams that's in Group E is Costa Rica. And... The the first question I have for you is: uh, Does does Costa Rica have have a chance to catch lightning in the bottle like in the last World Cup and surprise everyone with another quarterfinal run, or are they going to go down the way of the Cameroons and the Senegal's and the uh, I guess the, and the Ghana's and Costa Rica where the quarterfinal is it, and we probably won't see or hear from them for the next twenty years. Yeah, I mean maybe Cameroon would be a good example because I think that they're a worse team this time around. Um, but could still have that sort of World Cup maybe springboard them to continued regional success. You know, you look at Cameroon and the African Cup of Nations. Uh, but you, like you said, you know, World Cup level, we haven't, haven't heard them make any noise for a long time. I, I think this Costa Rica team, we're looking at a team that I think is worse than the one in 2014. I don't think it's as well sort of put together, uh, or, or maybe the, the manager's tactics are not as kind of set as they were, as they were in 2014. Uh, and I just, you know, look, we'd probably be saying the same exact thing about Costa Rica if we were having this conversation in 2014, that really they don't have that great of a chance. I don't like them to get out of the group. And, and not only did they get out of a group with three former World Cup winners, they won the group and, and then were able to, to continue their run. That being said, I still can't sort of in good faith predict that to happen again. I, I don't love their chances uh, in this group. I don't love their chances uh, overall. And I think that that you know, it's going to be really difficult for Costa Rica to even get out of the group, much less replicate what they did uh, last time around. I, I, I just think they're they're worse off than they were. What is it about the, this particular group of players that doesn't in, uh, in, in instill confidence in, in in you? And then I guess he and 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 for that matter, the uh, the Costa Rica fans is, is is it a personnel issue? Like I said, is it a coaching issue? Is it a combination of the two? You know, what, what is it that that makes the the, the 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 Tico Nation think that, that they need to be a little bit more bearish about about their chances this time around. Yeah, I think it is probably a combination. Uh, I, I, you know, when you look at the team, uh, I, 
I don't think Oscar Ramirez is a bad coach. In fact, I think it's pretty remarkable that he's been able to do what he did. You know, if, if you think about it, Juan Trope was supposed to coach this team to the World Cup, right? He was supposed to be kind of the guy to, to bring the Ticos into, into kind of the next level after they fell out with Pinto. Juan Trope comes on the scene, of course, you know, well thought of a legend. Uh, and then he gets in the fight and, and then, you, you know, it's like every CONCACAF manager, it seems for some reason the requirement for this job is to have some weird anger issue that causes you to get fired. Uh, so that's what happens, right? So, so then Oscar Ramirez comes in and he's not exactly the coolest head himself, but he's been able to, to keep his cool enough to keep the job. And you look at his career, you know, he never played outside of, of, uh, of Costa Rica. He never coached outside of Costa Rica. And all of a sudden he's a, just kind of the best club coach at the moment that, that they need a coach and, you know, had experience as an assistant as well for the national team. And, and he's the guy. So. Look, I don't think he's a bad coach, like I said, but I do think this probably wasn't the coach you wanted necessarily to be taking up the mantle after 2014 to be kind of moving things forward. And then you look at the personnel and, you know, some of the players, even Brian Ruiz, who I think is a nice picture of, of kind of the Costa Rican team, a, a, an underrated player, a good player, a player that's perfect, perfectly capable, but at the same time, one who hasn't necessarily transcended on the international level. I, I mean, he's been very good and I think he's well-respected. But, you know, sort of in and out of the squad with sporting this year, never really broke through past the, that level, sporting Fulham uh, and, and some success in the Netherlands. So even when with Ruiz as kind of their best player as, as the captain, you know, aside from Keylor Navas in goal, there hasn't been that sort of transcendent figure. So I think they're going to have trouble, aside from Navas, at, at every rank you have one or two guys who are good but not great. And then after that, the depth leaves a lot of questions to, to be asked. So uh, that, that's, I guess, my summation. I think that everyone maybe from manager to player has a lot to prove. And they did that in 2014. So not, not to take anything away from that, because it's still possible that they do the same thing. I, I just think this time around, there are a lot of questions uh, that linger about this team and that, that maybe, you know, sure, players could prove themselves, but I haven't seen what I think uh, Costa Rica hoped from 2014, which would be this big jump and sort of, uh, you know, all these players, you looked at some of the guys who signed big deals. Uh, Giancarlo Gonzalez left MLS for Italy and, and is still there, but, you know, hasn't, hasn't necessarily been a sensation. Christian Gamboa going to Scotland, having trouble. Uh, you know, even Ruiz. So I think most of the guys who kind of were hoping to, to use the 2014 performances as this big vault to the next level weren't able to do it. So I, I guess I wonder if they weren't able to do that on the club level, are they going to be able to, to do that at the international level? Now, Costa Rica opens the, the tournament playing uh, Serbia, if I'm not mistaken. And Serbia is one of those uh, Eastern European countries that you really – I mean, I'm not saying you're not, you're not going to know what you're going to get, but they can either be really good or really bad. Uh, at least that, that, that's been the history of the, of the Eastern European clubs in the, in the World Cup. And in fact, in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, I think they opened by beating Germany uh, 1-0, if, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, they have Serbia, which as crucial as it gets, because then they, then they play Brazil and then they, and then they round it up by, uh, by playing Switzerland. So any kind of result against Serbia should certainly give the Costa Ricans hope that they might get a chance to advance Knowing that they'll probably not win against Brazil, but then, you know, you know, you know, just like it is for Mexico, that 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 third match is going to be the match that could uh, th- that could decide for them whether or not they move on. If you know, as long as they have you know a point or three to or you know one point or two, so to speak, to give them that 
that that ball is that something that you think that Costa Rica will be able to aspire to, or are they looking at that third game as as uh, this is our 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 uh, despedida, so to speak, to the uh, of the tournament? I th- I think you're right in spotlighting that first game, uh, you know, as as the one where it, it can really set the tone, and in many ways, remember in 2014 also set the tone, right? Uh, you know, they they. Uh, I think that was the Uruguay game, right. if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, that was one where you're like, all right, well, you know, this, this good luck, this group is going to be, is going to be nothing. And then all of a sudden, uh, it was something. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that first game is, is critical. What I don't love for Costa Rica is the fact that, you know, I think they, they scheduled some decent, uh, friendly matches sort of trying to, you know, like, like every team does, right? Trying to imitate what the group games are going to be like. The Hungary, they played Hungary before the draw. Um, but I think that's sort of another sort of, you know, nice preparation game. They weren't able to score in that one. They got drilled against uh, Spain in that preparation. And then a Scotland team, they go to Scotland, they do get the victory there, but then they lose to Tunisia. So I, I guess I, I think that they've done a nice job sort of imitating uh, what they might be able to see or, or playing teams at the level that they're going to see because, uh, right, sort of like lower mid to lower European teams and, or high-level African teams. Uh but, but yeah, I guess like, I, I think that first game is really important. And, and, and like you say, you know, maybe it gives you something to aspire to, but I also think that Switzerland might be a team that that's going to cause some issues as well. I, I sort of, maybe I'm tipping my hand on the preview here, but I like Brazil to win it. I think as most people probably wouldn't, I think Switzerland might be kind of the, not even the dark horse. I think they might be the favorite to go through a second. And, and so I think even if you are still holding out hope going into that last game, uh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a really difficult road for Costa Rica. I think if the group, you know, this certainly isn't a group of death situation, but I don't think it's an easy group as well, uh, especially just because of how Costa Rica has struggled uh, in the past couple of years against uh, teams from outside of CONCACAF. So uh, not not good news from John Arnold here in the Cantina MX podcast for, for you ticos that are listening. Not- I don't love it, but I wouldn't mind being wrong, you know. Well, sure, and, and 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 again, I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, the, you know, Eastern European teams are so, uh, you, it's so random. I mean, they're just there's, you know, outside of Yugoslavia in the eighties, nineties, there's there just really hasn't been one that has been consistently, I'm not gonna say decent, but you know, consistently consistent. So you just, you never know what you're, you know, what you're gonna get. So I think that if Costa Rica can manage to get a draw, and 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 frankly, you know, I mean, I think that you know they can certainly aspire to to get a win in that game. Then obviously that yeah. sets them up. Well, and you look, and and certainly Serbia, you know, they've got, you know, Matic who plays for Manchester United and, and you know, one or two other names that, that you know, Mitrovic, uh, whatever. But but then, you know, the back line is aging. Their goalkeeper's been around for a long time. So you think, well, maybe Costa Rica can, can do something similar to the last World Cup where, you know, they maybe sit back a little bit and then take their, their chances to, to get forward. But then you look up top and what do you have? You have Ruiz. We talked about him. You know, I think he's a, a consistently good performer, but not necessarily great, although he's come up big in big moments. And then you have Marco Ureña, who's kind of a fitness worry because of his face fracture. So if he can get back, sure. But then after that, you're looking at a lot of players who, you know, Colindres from, from Saprissi, who's had a really good domestic season, but never necessarily, you know, like I said, he hasn't kind of come through on, on the international stage. And okay, well, what about Joel Campbell? You know, he's done it before. Yeah, but he played spot time at best this year for Betis. He might not even make the squad. So I, I just think it's, 
you know, when you look at Serbia's weakness, it's something that you would think Costa Rica might be able to exploit. But I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. So that's why I'm down. You know, I just think like in all these different levels, these different banks of players, you know, you have one or two guys who who are are really good. You know, obviously Caleb Navas, Giancarlo Gonzalez, and 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 uh, uh, I'm blanking out Duarte, uh, Celso Borges in the midfield, Brian Ruiz up top. But then who else is there? You can't just have a spine of players and hope to win games at the World Cup. So I, I guess I'm I'm sort of being overly negative, I feel like. And you're right that that game could turn things. And if they're able to get three points in that, maybe you lose to Brazil, get a draw against Switzerland, and that's good enough to go through. So there is maybe some reason to hope for Costa Rica. I just think they're going to need to have other performers, names that we don't know yet, who are stepping up and, and sort of filling the, the spots out, honestly, and supporting those players who we know can do it on the international level because I don't see it happening if, if someone doesn't step up. Well, that is my next question. Are there, are there any young uh, Costa Rican players that, that are coming up through the ranks out of there? They're extremely competitive 12 team league that, 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 that we might need to take a flyer on to see, Hey, maybe, maybe this guy could be somebody that, uh, could, could be that X factor for Costa Rica. Is there, is, are there any young players that are coming up that, that fit that bill? No, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone who's a, you know, a guarantee to make the squad. You know, a lot of the, the MLS, ta- you know, raid has, has sort of taken some of the mystery out of, uh, you know, a, a guy like, uh, uh, you know, in the midfield, Iglesias Segura, who, who plays for DC United. You know, we all know, know him, Francisco Calvo, who I think is a very versatile defender, can play, you know, left back if he needs to, but I think excels at center back, especially for the, the national team. You know, he, he's a younger up and coming player, uh, for the national team, but, you know, we kind of know him from playing in MLS as well. Uh, and a lot of the other guys, I think the guys that they've tried out and attack, you know, have been really familiar names to fans of Costa Rican football. You look at, at you know, I mentioned Colindres uh, from Saprissa, Yender Cruiz, uh, got a call up, I think, in the last couple games. They've tried Ariad Rodriguez, uh, Johan Vanegas, I think will probably make the squad, a former MLS player who, who's back with Saprissa. So it, 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 there's not sort of that, you know, Chucky or or even a Jonathan Gonzalez where you can sort of pin your hopes on this guy and say, oh, you know what, like this guy's the next generation. He's going to be big for us in 2022, but you know what, he's going to make this team as well and and and, and really do it. You know, I think there was some hope that Yerson uh, uh, Torres, the Nakaxa player who was with America for a while, was going to be that guy, but but it never really came through. And so I think that Costa Rica is sort of, you know, I think they know the hand they've got and and you got to kind of work with it and see if you can maybe bluff your way into a, a big pot. If if Costa Rica does manage to get into the into the knockouts, do you think that Ricardo Lavolpe will take credit for for for, for the squad <laughs> like he did in uh, in 2014? I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> okay, uh, so just j- just to recap, you're, you're bearish on Costa Rica. Don't expect them to make it through. How much of that do you think is is due to the fact that, that Costa Rica is not going to surprise people? Like like maybe, I mean, Uruguay probably shouldn't have been surprised because they had played them before. But you know, maybe you know, Italy particularly, maybe they didn't think that they needed to scout them as much. You know, you know, you know, not not not, not take as much time on the videotape and the and the study on Costa Rica as as they as maybe some of the other teams. Is that now that people know what the Costa Rica has the what what they can offer or or how they how the how they play 
it seems like teams should be actually probably a little bit more ready to play them as opposed to thinking that they're just going to be another, you know, outside of Europe and South American minnow. Yeah. And this sounds, I, I admit this might sound dumb, but uh, I'll say it anyway. I feel like this might be the first kind of Twitter World Cup. Yes, it existed in 2014 and you had the hashtags, whatever, but like now what surprises are we going to see at the World Cup? Who are we going to, who's going to come out that we just have no idea about? You know, in 2014, it was Costa Rica and a few other, uh, you know, surprise teams. I don't think, you know, James Rodriguez maybe even could fit in that category where he was top goal scorer. Nobody would have expected that. And, and we will still have surprises, right? There will be players and teams that make through, that break through that we're not expecting to. But at the same time, I, I think even in 2014, as much information as there were, was out there, I think it was still easy for teams to say, nah, we're going to get past that team. Now nah, we're you know, whatever and and look teams will make that mistake into perpetuity that they're going to they're going to win they're going to waltz the top of the group etc etc like there will not be no more overconfidence that's not what i'm trying to say but i do think that now it's so much easier to kind of find and not just twitter like in scout and all these different data sources where you can watch every movement that a player makes those things had existed four years ago but they've become better and better and better in the last couple years and i think that that really does allow teams to kind of make Maybe leverage a talent advantage that they might have because you're right, that element of surprise, it's really difficult to find. And certainly not if you're Costa Rica, right? We haven't mentioned him enough maybe because of the fact that, that he's, you know, just kind of such a, a an assumed thing at this point. But Caleb Navas, a phenomenal international goalkeeper, and I don't think teams, teams are going to take him for granted, right? You definitely can rely on Kaylor. They did in 2014, uh, despite the fact that it seems like they want to replace him. Real Madrid has done so several times this year. He's come up with big saves and big moments. So, you know, it's, it's, that's not going to take teams by surprise. I think the attackers aren't going to take teams by surprise. Urenia, you know, was playing in Russia, uh, in, in the, uh, 2014, but now, you know, he's been in MLS for a while. He's been around. So I think it's just easier to, to figure out who these guys are, to figure out what they do. And, and I do think that that does play a role that, that maybe teams not only say, uh, yo, we can't lose to Costa Rica. Those guys killed it last World Cup, but also, uh, I know exactly how this guy's going to go to his left every time I know it, right? Like just, I think it's just easier to find those tendencies and, and those playing styles now, even, even more so than it was in Brazil four years ago. I want to open it up to the panel. Any of you guys have any, any questions for, uh, for Mr. Arnold? Don't everybody jump. I got a question for you. I got a question for you, John. This is Albert Campa. Uh, on the goalkeepers. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk, especially from the Mexican side about the, uh, well, comparison talk about Navas and Memo Ochoa. Uh, what, what do you think about all of that? That, you know, if Memo Ochoa were at Real Madrid, he'd be the same, you know, he'd be similar or is Navas really like out of this world on a different level when compared to, for, for example, Memo Ochoa? Yeah, I think it's tough to compare goalkeepers and I, I, I was really disappointed to see Memo go to, to Belgium when he did because I just thought he was, he was for bigger things, you know. But at the same time, uh, I think Navas is, a, is one of those top, top goalkeepers. I would put him a little above Memo. I don't think that Mexico's going to have goalkeeping problems this tournament, but, but I do think that Navas is probably a better goalkeeper. Now, some of that might be because he's had the goalkeeping, coaching, education, what have you. That comes with being at a club like Real Madrid, where Memo's been stuck at some of the bottom tier La Liga teams now in Belgium. Respect, I guess, to Belgium coaching. I don't know that much about Belgium goalkeeping coaching, but I, I think it's tough to evaluate. And goalkeeper is a funny position because you can, you know, make one big error, 
uh, and, and, and be done, you know, and, and, and everyone says you're the worst, and that's probably not the case. But I do think that Navas, when you look at the, the, the stat-stopping ability that he has, I think he's on another level from other players. Poet, did you have a question for John? Yes, sir. John, other, other John, um, how, how would you rate Costa Rica going into next cycle after the World Cup? Yeah, I think that you're probably going to see Costa Rica continue to be very good in the region, but there are several players who, you know, I, I don't think are going to be involved. And as we've mentioned, you know, are there, are there sort of flashy young stars coming through, players to pin your hopes on? Uh, not necessarily, right? I think up front is going to be their biggest worry. Uh, you've got Ruiz right now. You've got Arena, who I think is 28 or 29. So, you know, maybe you have him for one more cycle. But after that, I mean, even Navas, he's, he's not going to retire probably internationally, but maybe take some, you know, he's taken tournaments off in the past. I think he's in his early 30s, so maybe this is your last uh, go-around with, with Kevin Navas. You might have one more, but I just think that, you know, it's been difficult for Costa Rican teams to fend off MLS and, and even Mexico to some extent, some of the Nordic leagues from buying the talent. And I think that's made it difficult for them to sort of, I guess, through the development uh, of some of the players that they have. So I, I think in one sense, Costa Rican football, you could say, is growing, and their chances for next time around are, are just as good as they were this past time because, you know, it's starting to take hold, and that 2014 run, I think, inspired a lot of people. Maybe those stars from that team didn't, didn't jump up, but I think it's probably got a generation of kids who at that point were 16, 17, 18, who can compete now in the U20 level who are going to go to the U23 level. So maybe you see the fruits of that in the next cycle or the one after that. I guess I still see Costa Rica as, as one, two, three, you know, top three in, in CONCACAF. I'm not sure who's going to break that kind of dominance that Mexico, Costa Rica, and the U.S. have. Understanding that the U.S. isn't in the World Cup this time, I think they're going to regroup and rebuild. And I think Costa Rica will kind of continue to be strong, but but not, like I said, like I, I it's difficult to see them kind of... Well, they have yeah. yet to win. They have yet to win a regional tourney. A World Cup, right. Yeah, so I, I think it's difficult to see them doing that or, you know, making huge noise if this 2020 combines it. So, but don't you think it seems a bit, it, it might seem a bit of a, um, I don't know how you say, retroceso to, uh-huh. to do so good at the World Cup and then come back to the region and then you, you're still like in third place. Yeah. I think so, and but I, I mean, I, on the one hand, I would say that like I think some of that is the fact that they probably overachieved in 2014. They were a very good team, but they were also very disciplined and well drilled on what they did. Pinto asked them to do a very specific thing, and they did that thing really well. And, and like John said, they surprised a lot of teams too. People weren't ready for that, even though they should have been. If they had watched, you know, qualification and if they had watched previous Gold Cup tournaments, you know, that they, they, I think they would have been better prepared for for exactly what the Ticos were going to do. So I, I think it is maybe a bit of a step back and I think at this World Cup like I'm mentioning you know I think it's probably going to be a bit of a step back for them but at the same time like I said I mean a lot of that development comes from the domestic league and it's tough because you can't keep players there because you know MLS teams can come and spend a couple you know uh, what they consider to be a minimal sum prior player from Costa Rica and now he's in MLS where they don't care if a Costa Rican player is developing or not right if he's not performing he's on the bench because who cares like we don't need to get him minutes etc because eh, he's not in our plans whereas if he were playing for even you know an Arediano or a, or a Liga 
you know, those guys want those Costa Rican players to play. So without that domestic league being as strong as it has been, uh, I think it's tough to kind of take a step forward. I kind of see them treading water right now, I guess. So uh, back to back to the World Cup, Mr. Arnold. Uh, if you want to put your put your prediction hat on, do, do you? Uh, so you anticipate Brazil, and then you say Switzerland is is the team that comes out of comes out of Group B. Is that correct? I think I, I think so. That's my that's my gut instinct. And like I said, you know, if we were talking about Costa Rica's group in the last World Cup, of course I would say, oh no, it's it's Italy and Uruguay, of course, and Costa Rica is not going to get out, and they won the thing. But I, I like, yeah, Brazil, Switzerland is my is my pick. And who do you uh, who, who who do you favor to uh, to win the whole thing? I've been saying, and I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I like Germany. Uh, I know it's not like a, a wild yeah, you really, out there. Really thing. jump out on that one. I know, I know. I I, uh, I like Germany, and I also think you know everyone's uh, trendy on on Brazil, who I like, on France, who I like. But I, I think Spain is also a team that that uh, that could have a, a bit of a nice run. I like Germany first, though. What can I say? And 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 without giving away anything that you might be writing in the future, or anything else? Uh, did you or did you have any? Any any clues that you want to give uh, as far as how you see Mexico uh, advancing in this tournament, or is that something you'd rather? No, no, I'm happy to happy to chat about it. I mean, I, again, like I wish I had some sort of like wild out there theory, but you know, I, I see them as the second place team, and and like I said, I think this group kind of goes chalk with Brazil coming out as the winner, and it just is it's going to be very difficult. You know, okay, Danny Alves got injured, maybe he won't be a full form. Neymar's recovering from injury, maybe he won't be a full form. Even then, Brazil just still has a lot of talent. You know, the last World Cup was a failure for them, but they still made it to, you know, those last four. So I, I think it's uh, it's going to be really tough if Mexico does end up with that path, uh, which I, I think certainly seems like the most probable outcome at this point. Now, one thing that we have said on the uh, on this show, I, I, and it's uh, I don't know if everybody echoes the same sentiment that I have, but but uh, but of all the top teams for Mexico to play. Whether it's Germany, Brazil, France, Spain, Argentina, I'll throw even England in there. Uh, that 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 Brazil is, is the one team that that for whatever reason, and they've they've proven it for the past twenty years, that that Mexico plays well. I mean, they've they've played they played them more than anybody else, obviously. But it's it, to me, it's the one team that if they had to play a top team, that would be the team that I would want Mexico to play, just because of the fact that they actually have had success. And 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 you know, looking back over the past twenty years, I don't think you can think of any other team in the world that has had the success that Mexico's had against Brazil. So I know. Yes, yeah, I mean, twenty fourteen was 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 great, right? Well, it's I mean, not just twenty fourteen. I mean, you go yeah. to twenty twelve in the Olympics. You go, you know, go back to nineteen ninety nine in the Confederations Cup final. There have been Copa Americas where Mexico's done well against Brazil, Confed Cups where they've done well against Brazil. Uh, it's uh, I, I, for whatever. I take your point. Yeah. However, I still think I still think that Brazil would be Mexico. Even even if you get even if you get it, oh, we forced extra time. I, I think that's still you know that even favors Brazil more because I think Mexico. When you look at what at L three right now, you know I think there's there's. I, I don't see a ton of depth, right? And so if you're going late, you know, you, you hung with them. I, I, I think it's very tough. I think it's very tough. I'm not I'm not super up on CONCACAF this World Cup, which I kind of was ahead of 2014, and then it turned out to be, you know, a pretty good showing 
all things considered. Uh, I don't love it this time around. I think Panama is going to be, you know, happy guests, uh, happy to be there. It's the, it's the first World Cup, the last chance for those old guys. Costa Rica we've talked about, and Mexico. You know, like I say, I, I think it's actually a good team. I know I'm not exactly in the majority for this, but I like what Osorio's done uh, sort of in his entire process as a whole. But uh, I think it's going to be difficult. So you have you have Brazil, Germany on one side of the bracket, and then you're thinking Spain and uh, was it Argentina on the other side or or, or France? No, Spain, France, right? So that would actually they would actually meet in semifinals. So if you if if, if the tournament works out a certain way, then the, your four teams would actually beat uh, would, would would play each other in the semifinals on, on their respective sides of the of the bracket. You're you're farther ahead of me at this point than I am of myself, if that makes sense. I haven't I haven't actually drawn it out. I just uh, yeah, but but I I trust you and yeah, sure, those can be my semifinals. Okay, well, we will. Uh, <laughs> I'll, it's I'll, on, I'll it's, sign it. It's on tape. No, I'm just kidding. It's uh, <laughs> well, no, we do appreciate that. Now, uh, before we let you go, uh, we, you know, you are someone who does keep up with uh, Liga Mekis, obviously, with your work columns on Goal.com and your and your insights on on the Twitter. So uh, we do have the semifinals. We're actually doing this on Wednesday. We normally have a show on Thursday, but the schedule kind of kind of hosed a lot of people. Uh, hosed us because I don't think we wanted to start a show at midnight yeah. after the Tijuana match. Uh, so we have to, we have some semifinals coming up. Uh, you know, last week we thought that chalk would probably uh, you know the would, would hold. It did not hold. Uh, the the Monterrey teams got booted. Yeah. So do, do uh, should we expect any more surprises uh, coming out of that? I mean, and the reality is, can anyone really? With any kind of right mind, actually predict what would ever happen in Liga Mekis. <laughs> no, no, and yet we continue to keep doing it, or at least I do, and I think you guys do on the show as well. Uh, I think it's going to be. I, I like to look America for a final, and and I I do actually think there's going to be a bit of an upset, despite the fact that the seeds say that Toluca is is the one and the America is uh, is the two. Uh, I think Toluca is the strongest team. I think that they've got, uh, in some respects, America's number. You know, you saw the league game where Sambuesa had a, had a field day. Uh, I don't like Santos's chances in this round, partly because if they don't have a fully healthy Janini and they still have Nesta Raujo, you got Alcova covering kind of ground, I guess, for now. But uh, I thought Santos was, was A, sort of fortunate to have some health with Janini for the most part, but but also a Tigres team that, you know, We've seen them kind of do this before and sort of show some apathy, I guess. And the fact that they were at home in the second leg, I think, was really critical because, you know, Tigres at home is, is just a different animal. Anyway, you guys probably already talked about that. So I think it's America, Toluca. I was stunned, of course, by Tijuana uh, going on the road and scoring at all, much less doing it twice. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily like them to do that uh, again, although they, they also beat Toluca if you're going to put any stock in the regular season. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, I, I think Toluca might be – uh, despite kind of flying under the radar as a team that's not one of the traditional big four and not a team that's kind of a, a sexy, trendy, you know, new money team, uh, I think that they might be the best team in, in the league right now. Will that bear itself out over the results? Uh, Probably not. What, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> what is uh, – uh, I know you've had a chance to travel some in Mexico when it comes to uh, covering league. Is, is there a stadium that you prefer over others? Well, <laughs> so journalists were like an entitled bunch, right? Because like on the one, I, like Tigres is my favorite stadium as far as like atmosphere. I just think it's like, a, you know, the fans are always in it. The, the uh, Liberty Locos are like a very, very passionate barra. They do great songs. It's a, it's a really fun like environment. Just not great to work in. There's like no Wi-Fi, et cetera. So if you're talking about like, oh, like a modern, nice environment to work in, 
uh, which your readers or your listeners probably don't care about. Uh, Monterrey across town is, is, is pretty solid. You know, everything, you get a little desk and everything works and, and it's great. Azteca with their renovations has also become nice. But if you're just looking for pure atmosphere, uh, Tigres is, is pretty phenomenal. Volcan, we'll see how long they stay there. I know they're trying to get out and I, it's not exactly, like I said, you know, Monterrey, you look and it's just like modern marvel of stadiums. And then you look at El Volcan and it's, but you know, it's got character, man. It's, it's a, it's a really nice place to watch a, watch a match. And if people have a chance to, to go down, it's a, it's a good trip. Yeah. I've heard that the, uh, that the new Monterey stadium is a lot like, uh, the old Texas stadium where it's, everything is covered, but there's no ventilation and, you know, you're living in Texas in, in July and August. Yeah, I'm sure. It's, I've only been there for the final, so I was only there in December. So I was more concerned yeah. about, you know, putting a sweater on instead of, uh, uh, yeah, is, is it staying cool? But, you know, if, that, if if the World Cup comes, which it seems like it probably won't at this point, but uh, if it does come, I guess we'll be have, have to be concerned about that. Yeah. Although, so. Maybe we can just move the Monterrey games to the winter. And uh, and FIFA can just deal with the calendar switch, huh? There, there is a reason they call uh, they call the Monterrey Stadium the Tamalera because apparently it does get extremely still and steamy in there, especially in the summer months. So if they do have the World Cup in Monterrey, I'm guessing those are going to be slated for the uh, the evening kickoffs, so that they don't have to deal with the heat as much as as uh, as as one would one would expect. Hey, John. Uh... I'd like to get in a question. If that's Please, all right. Dan, Danielle, Absolutely. go right ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to know about your thoughts on the U.S. You inferred earlier that, you know, they're going to be one, two, or three. I'd like your thoughts on a little bit more specific specificity, if I could spit that out. Um, <laughs> is uh, is the U.S. your first choice? Like, do you think they're going to be battling for one and two, basically, or more two and three? I, I guess there's a there's a, a distinction, I guess, amongst us uh, Mexico fans, and I guess uh, I'm wondering, do you really think that the U.S. is going to be back to challenging for that top spot? Yeah, I think it depends on the choices that they make. Uh, I think it's been solid as far as realizing with uh, with Carlos Guerrero, the new president, hey, maybe we should have sort of a general manager role, similar to, you know, director of national team spot that, that uh, the close is right now in Mexico. And then we've had different characters, I guess, of varying strengths. You know, you look at the Palayas or, and you look at Santiago Baños and it's like, well, you know, one of those guys uh, you probably think is, is a savvy manipulator. The other guy, who knows? Um, but, but anyway, uh, I think, you know, that's a good idea. And the fact that they hire a new man, you know, the new manager, I think will determine a lot towards the direction of the U S men's program, right? They could get that hire totally wrong. And then I think you're looking at another couple of years of, of kind of not, not even being in the same place you were, you know, struggling, slipping, uh, you know, maybe having difficulty even in the nation's league. But if you get the right guy, if you get someone who, who not only knows how to manage a team and knows you know, tactically how to get the most out of a team, but also to say, you know, okay, here's what we need to do with U20 and U23 programs. There has been some really good work at the MLS Academy level. How can we sort of integrate that? Um, you know, I, I think that there's there's potential in the U.S. You know, we've seen soccer grow here, but that necessarily... Do you think, uh, do you think MLS is right? contributing to that? I uh, think... At least uh, doing their part as in, like, helping to improve the, the, the whole program. I think it, I think MLS is, you know, some people have said MLS is the problem. I think it can be part of the solution because you look at the donut that there were in these players, you know, this team, you had Dempsey, you had Bradley Altidore. So let's cap it at, I think, 20, Altidore's 28. And you cap it and say, 
who's who is the best kind of regular for the U.S. national team that's younger than that? Well, Pulisic, who's just a phenomenon, and he's a teenager. And then after that, DeAndre Yedlin, I guess, at 24, 25. I mean, it, you, you, there was nothing. And I think that sort of was the period where MLS teams' strategy, if there was one, was to just kind of try and get a player, sell him as quickly to Europe as possible, move on to the next one, and also bring in these older foreign players who didn't necessarily contribute on the field. Now I think teams are realizing we have to develop talent here. If we don't have the academies that are producing players who can actually play in MLS and help our team win, and maybe they get sold on in the future, maybe not, you know, we're not going to have much success. It, there was a gap between those two kind of theories of, of you know, players where you had Bradley Altador, even a Tim Howard, you know, uh, guys who played in MLS and then moved to Europe and sort of had success at, at the top levels, Altador exception. Um, and then you had this idea of like, okay, let's just sell everyone, where you had this gap of like, like a Breck Shea. You know, he would have been in that generation had he been any you know, able to break into the national team. So I think there was this big hole and now that's being filled somewhat by this new generation of players, many of them coming up through U.S. academies, Kellen Acosta, Paul Ariola, uh, you know, Pulisic even had some of his roots in, in the U.S. system. So I think MLS, you know, is going to be part of that. And as it continues to get stronger and stronger, closer and closer to a CONCACAF breakthrough, uh, I think it can be sort of, I guess sort of play the same role that a lot of leagues around the world play in their national team setup. And, and, uh, if, if MLS is succeeding, U.S. soccer probably should be succeeding on the field. It's just that hasn't necessarily been the case in the last few years. John Arnold, you're the president of, of USSFF or whatever it is, USSF. It's hard to say. <laughs> who, who do you, uh, who, who do you tab as, as the next U.S. national team? Well, in some ways I'm a romantic and, and just a total dreamer. And I say Bielsa, right? Uh, I think that'd be great, but you know, he's pretty peculiar. hasn't really worked out his last few jobs. Doesn't want to learn English. So uh, I'm probably getting nixed by the board on that one. So look, my number two option, it might be Mr. Juan Carlos Osorio. I mean, he's bilingual. He actually looks, say what you will about his, his, you know, strategies, rotations. And I understand the frustration, but at the same time, I think it's been a long time since the U S has had. Someone who, uh, I don't know, Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, you'd hear the stories from players and there was no communication. He didn't even tell them that they're going to get called up. You know, they found out by email, that sort of thing. Osorio at least says, his players seem to support him. And he says, you know, I'm sending these guys videos on the iPad and I'm sending these guys plans on this and that. You know, it just seems like it's been a while since the U.S. has had anyone who's actually been able to communicate with players in a way that they understand. I'm not saying that's like the only key in a, or even that Osorio is the best in that. But if he has a successful or even a decent World Cup with Mexico, especially because of his ties in the U.S., his, his past here, the fact that he speaks English, I mean, I think he'd be a pretty attractive candidate. Uh, if I'm the president, I go for him. And I actually do think that if he is available, uh, U.S. soccer will probably have him on the shortlist as well. So you, you lean more toward the the, the coach that's kind of like the systems engineer guy, that like the big picture guy that's going to – we're working to overhaul the entire system over the next four years. Yeah, and, and that's what Klinsman said he was going to do too, and it didn't necessarily work. But I think that the U.S. needs someone like that. You know, there, there's just so many moving parts. You know, Daniel asked about MLS. You know, how, do, how does MLS fit in, right? The, the youth development, you know, we are developing kids, but then – 
you know, where does that go? And I think the other important thing, sorry to cut you off, but, but so I think we do need someone big picture, but I also think we need someone maybe who doesn't, you don't, not, not saying it needs to be a requirement that they speak Spanish, but at least have some sort of understanding of the, of the football culture in, in Mexico and Central America and South America, because that's such a big part of our, our U.S. soccer dichotomy and community that we just haven't utilize you know i think klinsman said that he was going to do it and his his way of doing that was calling up edgar castillo uh calling up gringo torres and then forgetting about those guys after two weeks or three third three months or whatever right that that you know calling up a couple players who speak spanish isn't integrating the the latino community in the u.s into u.s soccer it's going to take much more work than that but i think if we have someone who understands how things work in Latin America, I think we have a much better chance of being able to start that process because it's going to be a process. You know, I don't think you can just have a coach who speaks Spanish flip the switch and suddenly the Latinos who feel that they're not a part of the, the U.S. soccer body are going to feel like they're, they're in now. You know, I think it's a start. If that person starts saying, reaching out to the community, having camps, et cetera, in, in, in the South and the borderlands or, or even just in areas where there's a high Latino population and saying, you know, U.S. soccer is here. We're looking at you. We're working with clubs in your community, et cetera. I think that could be a big breakthrough as well. So I want somebody who's big picture and I want someone who's able to, and again, not as saying Spanish speaking is a requirement or, or coaching experience in, in Mexico or Latin America is a requirement. I just think those things would go a long way toward bridging a gap in U.S. soccer that if we could bridge, I think would reap benefits culturally, obviously, but also on the field because that's a big part of the, the U.S. soccer world that we're just totally missing out on. Well, if Osorio isn't available, I mean, the person you're describing is a guy that you visit with at least once a week. Yeah, they're in FC Dallas, and I'm not sure if he would be willing or able, or even would even want the position. But I mean, that just sounds like that's you're you're describing Oscar Pareja, who's the FC Dallas coach, just absolutely perfectly. So, yeah, yeah, I I think he would be. You know, timing hadn't hasn't necessarily been on his side because I think if if this sort of U.S. debacle had happened a year earlier, when Pareja was coming off winning the Supporters Shield, the, the MLS prize for winning the for the most points during the season and the u.s open cup i think he would have been you know the first name on everyone's list and maybe already have a pre-contract sign or something like that last year was a difficult year for him he didn't exactly uh you know coach super well he had a bunch of issues sort of stuck with the same 11 despite the fact that it wasn't working so i think this year will be a big year for him and, and yeah he is a guy who i think you know you know cards on the table i, I speak with him often and have a good relationship with him but uh, yeah, like you said, I think uh, fits two of the, 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 the qualifications that I think would be good in the next U.S. coach. Does anybody else have any other questions for Mr. Arnold before we turn him loose? Here in the cantina. I'll have to stop by more often, have some, have some peanuts, throw back some, uh, some light beers in the cantina. Well, we don't drink, we don't, we don't drink light beer in the cantina, just, just, just so you know. Oh, that's, that's what that's, I think of when I think of a cantina. Up in Fort Worth. Uh, yeah, and I'm from San Diego, so we must do craft. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's true, that's true. John Arnold, thank you very much for joining us. We do appreciate you taking the time, and I know you're a busy man, so, uh, thanks for carving out uh, a few minutes with us here in the, in the, on the Cantina MX podcast, so, uh, we wish you uh, much success in your upcoming travels. I know you're headed to Russia, so uh, have a have a great time over there, and uh, and be sure to uh, uh, give us a lot of insight uh, for, for the folks that follow you on Twitter and read your columns. We do appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Talk to you soon. That was uh, John Arlo joining us here on the Cantina Mekis podcast. Uh, very uh, happy to uh, have him on, and. Uh, you know, I, I should probably correct something. I think that we would be willing to drink 
light beer here in the cantina as long as we have, you know, if we have a sponsorship of light beer, then we will absolutely drink as much light beer as, as needed. I think even Chiquis would drink some light beer, uh, uh here in the podcast if, uh, if we were able to get a, a sponsorship like that. But, uh, John Arnold joining us, giving us a very pragmatic outlook on Costa Rica's chances in the upcoming, uh, World Cup, like we said, they open with Serbia, uh, uh, where we think that's probably the, uh, the, the key match for them if they can get a, a good result there. And then they, they, they play Brazil in the second game and then it would all come down to like it will for, uh, for a lot of teams in the, in, in the upcoming tournament that, that, that third match is going to be, uh, you know, a play in game for, uh, for, for the right to make it to the knockouts. And I think that, uh, I think we all agree that Mexico will, will probably be in that situation when they play. Sweden as well uh, in, in Group F. Now uh, we're not going to do Group F preview because, uh, at least not just yet. Uh, but we do. Uh, we, we we're moving on to Group G next week, and uh, hopefully we will have uh, someone that will give us an English perspective. Uh, England is is in Group G with uh, with Panama, Tunisia, and Belgium, and so hopefully we'll have someone uh, who will give us an English perspective on. That particular group and England's chances, because it really is, uh, you know, you know, quietly, it, look, it looks like England is one of those teams that have a have, have a quiet confidence and not the uh, the lack of confidence that they've shown in the past couple of World Cups. It looks like it's going to be a different uh, different mindset for the English. So, looking forward to hearing that discussion next week here on the Cantina Mekis podcast. But we are we are back with you guys here uh, live uh, thir- on a Wednesday night, a special Wednesday edition. I'm hoping that my my colleagues who are uh, with me will be uh, joining us uh, again soon. I see that Joel and Albert are here, but whether they or not they are here, I'm I'm not uh, particularly sure. Oh, well, there's Chikis. Uh, there's Chikis. Just so Chikis, if we got a, a light beer sponsorship, would you would you go ahead and knock one back to Chikis? That's a negative. Negative. A negative from Chikis. He would not knock one back. Joel, if if we got a light beer sponsorship, would you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would. Without without yes. hesitation. Yeah, I've done it before, John. You've had you've 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 enjoyed and you've nursed a light beer while you were podcasting, Hoyt? No, not not while podcasting, but oh. just you know. Just in in, 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 in in general life you have uh Yeah, you know, sometimes you just get offered and hard to say no to a beer. Sure. Sure. Now, uh, you know, John Arnold uh, was with us, and uh, he brought up a lot of interesting points and then, uh, you know, finished up with uh, with what he would expect from uh, – for what we would hope – the qualities he, he would want in, in the next U.S. coach. And, and Chiquis, you don't seem to think that that uh, is all that particularly uh, – well, not all of it, but like, it's not as important as one, as one would think. Is that correct? What, the U.S.? The U.S. situation? Yeah. Oh no, I was I was I was referring to uh, the uh, I believe the lack of. Uh, well, he, he mentioned Jurgen Klinsmann was really going after uh, I guess Latino or Mexican American like El Homie Castillo and uh, Francisco Torres. I don't know if Gomez Gomez was probably past his time, but. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see that. I think I've mentioned it before. I don't, I don't see the, there seems to be a, a thought that the uh, Latinos are being excluded or not scouted properly. And there's a, like a gold mine that's being missed. And I, I don't really see a gold mine in the Mexican American 
uh, talent that's out there in the United States. <laughs> well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a gold mine, but I do think it is being. Um, I'm not going to say neglected, but I don't think it's probably being scoured as as thoroughly as, as as some of the other areas. I can. Chick is looking down on. Well, no, I just on, I, on those born on this side of the border. Well, I, I, I was born on this side of the border. Well, you don't think you you don't think uh, there could be a Mexican American Chucky Lozano or or you know equivalent even off of like uh, Pavel Pardo? Uh, no. Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, we haven't seen one, but without due respect, the best some of the players out there. But Pavel Pardo had had good ball control, good passing, good distribution, good good time for the game. <clears throat> As uh, I could see an American, Mexican American, be more be more like Chucky with the speed and the athletic ability. But as far as the technique and the touch. I don't, I don't see that coming from a Mexican-American. I think it's a matter of time. but Even, even you know, a matter of time being when, when soccer is the number one sport in the U.S., that's a matter of time that I think is when a Mexican-American will be up to the level of a, of a Chucky or, or Carlos Vela is a good example. There would be no American like Carlos Vela, Mexican-American or whatever because they, don't lack, they lack the, the touch, the, the skill on the ball in the United States where there's so many distractions and, and soccer is not the, the sport for a lot of these kids that they want to play and, and, and grow up wanting to be stars in. So that's, that's the detriment that Mexican Americans have the negative aspect of being, of having the American at the end of that statement. <laughs> and so soccer is just not going to be in their blood, not blood, but in their, um... well, I mean, I, I don't think you can generalize, you know, just, you know, make a blanket statement like that across, the, you know, that covers the swaths across everything. In that sense, I think that it's just a matter of, of, of uncovering those players. I mean, those players do exist. It's just a matter of finding them. And, uh, you know, you know, you know, we always talk about how Mexico is a country of 100 million people, blah, 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 blah. You know, why can't they buy players? Well, the United States is a country of 300 million people. And one would think that you, that, that you would be able to find uh, that within those uh, – Within that parameter. Now, the one thing that I always thought was really strange about Jurgen was he talked a big game about you know restructuring the whole deal and blah blah blah. And, you know we're gonna you know you know filter players in, and then the very first thing he does, as you mentioned, Tiki, is that he goes after Liga Mekis players, and then when he realizes that you know maybe these guys aren't going to be uh, what we're looking for, then then he goes and finds the the German players, the the the, the players in the Bundesliga that are, that have American passports. That's 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 sort of supports my point is. Uh, uh, but, but I agree with you. But I mean, but but the, the thing that, that you know that Jurgen wants to do is 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 it's not something that's going to happen in in a, in a four year process. It's just not. So I, I don't understand why there's this need, and this happens in Mexico too, to, you know, bring in a guy who's going to be both a national team coach and the, and this and this miracle worker. That's going to somehow find all these players uh, and, and and develop all these players to be national team material in, in two and a half years. Where are they coming from? It's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I agree with your you're talking about the coaching aspect. Your coach can't do everything. Can't be in charge. No, I agree with that. And nor should he. Yeah. I mean, that's the, 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 there's you know the, the, the that that's a position that should be filled by you know by, you know back office folk that really. 
you know, the behind the scenes, you know, it, it, it's like position coaches and foot, you know, in, in, in other sports. I mean, you know, those are the guys that really get down to it. I mean, that, that, that's what you need in situations like that. You don't need a, you know, and especially a national team, the national team coach is busy doing other, that's, it, it is a, it is a full-time, more than a full-time job. It's, it's like three full-time jobs to, to run a system like that. And, and, and to make it really difficult for the U.S., I mean, there's the, – yes, the MLS uh, teams do have academies, and, you know, they're starting to develop players. FC Dallas has been very good at developing players as well as Houston Dynamo and, and, and some of the other ones. But, you know, then they still have that draft, the MLS draft, where they, where they bring in college guys. And, uh, you know, college guys are, are, are folks that are 21, 22 years old that have been playing soccer for three months a year, competitive soccer, three months a year. For four years, so, so in the four-year span, you know they they played a year, you know, twelve months of soccer, and that makes it difficult too. I mean, if it, I, I understand having the draft, but if you're going to have a draft, you know, why don't you go and draft the, you know, draft you know the eighteen-year-old, you know, wonder kids like they do in Major League Baseball? So there's there's definitely some uh, some things that would probably need to be addressed, but but uh, in 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 trying to structure how U.S. builds and you know finds and develops the talent, but the national team coach should not be the one responsible for coming up with that structure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they need they need help. They need uh, directores. They need youth coaches. All that stuff. Now, before we move on, I was thinking about this when I was listening to the, which was completely unrelated. But I thought it would be a really funny question to ask. Not not what is your favorite Pepito joke, but what is your favorite punchline to a Pepito joke? Joel, Joel do you have a favorite punchline to a, to a Pepito joke? You know, I can't remember them. No. It's been so long. Well, like like the one that I thought of that just – it slays me every time I think about it was, No, pero tu abuelita se echó un pedo y mató al gato. That's – that's the, the punchline to a Pepito joke. So if you, if you think of one later on in, in the show, please, please, please let us know. But, but, but before, before we move on though, Joel, we need to, I, I guess what we do need to do now is, is move on to the, uh, do, do we want to talk Chivas crisis center or you, or you want to wait for more Chivas to, 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 to come in? For no, that? this, yeah, no, you, wanna... you, you mean to be interrupted? No, I'm, I'm, Oh, you want, you want, <laughs> you want the unfettered. Yeah. I want the hot seat. You want the you want the conch for this for this the entirety of this of this segment. Yeah, they they could weigh in later. But. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let let's recap what has happened over the past few days. So 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 Chivas loses uh, to León, and then uh, and the 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 uh, they obviously they won the Coca Champions, so they didn't make the Liguilla. So they had a couple in a couple they had a week's worth of downtime. And then this week, uh, the, 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 the news that is coming out of, out of Verde Valle is that, uh, is that there's going to be a fire sale. Uh, a lot of players, you know, in, in the great tradition of Mexican teams preparing for the Club World Cup, they're going to gut their team as they always do. <clears throat> and then, and then, and then and go, go to the Club World Cup as, as a shell of their former selves, a, a, a team that looks nothing like the team that, that had actually won the Conca Champions. And it looks like that's what that's what Chivas is 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 getting ready to do. There's talk, although there was nothing has been confirmed, but there there was talk that uh, that that, uh, that Rudy Pizarro was going to go to Monterrey. That that, that Pulido was out. Uh, uh, who who else is out? Who else? Alanis, Alanis was signed. Alanis is already out. Free transfer. 
Yeah. And Cota will be returning to Pachuca, but I think they're sending him to another club. They're going to send him to Leon is where they're going to send him. Yeah, sister club. Yeah, so, uh, so, so four starters and four key players. Key players. Yes, sir. Four. And, and also, there's also, um, Monterrey, talk of Monterrey, Juan in Almeida. And yeah, I did. I was, I was going to get, pinch oh, you, you stole you're my going you asked. Stole my thunder. You stole my <laughs> No, it's all right. And, and, and exactly. And then to make matters worse, there's there's talk that uh, that that uh, that there have been uh, formal conversations between the uh, Monterrey front office and uh, and Matias Almeida. Yeah, and, and now what some, I did see. Go ahead. Go ahead. Almeida does have by this point. He has, I'll say, less than two years left on his contract. Uh, so if anyone could buy it out, it would be Monterrey. If anyone could buy out his remaining contract, it would be them. Just sell it. They could easily of, do it. A couple of truckloads of coke. Well, well, there is, there is, for example, Pizarro, right? There's, there's talk that they want Pizarro and, and also Pulido, that they want Pulido. So they will be taking some of the, some of the Chiba boys with them. Um, but but there will be a treque, so uh, Cesar Montes will be going to to Chivas. That's that's one of the you know possible scenarios. So what is what is a Chiva fan? What is a Chiva fan to think then? I mean, is this is this, is this are, are, are we back to that awful? Nothing not new, John. It, it depends what Chiva fan you are. Well, si eres, de, si eres de los nuevos, I'm pretty sure they're shocked. Uh, if you've been with the team a while, you could remember what happened to that you are, team from 06 where sure. they started selling off all the players and didn't really replace them. And then we could go back to the to the Super Chivas, which was when the promotora had the team. And around the time that they left, they got rid of all the players. Remember, that's when they sent Ramon Ramirez to America. Right. It was Caballero Aguila or something like that. Um, so, you know, I've seen this play out before, and it's always been because they need money. That's That's been the main reason the club just is hurting for money. Does it uh, make you <clears throat> disappointed that, that, that a club with, with, with the history and tradition and popularity – Oh man! Uh, yeah. uh, Guadalajara, ha, you know, you know, goes through these ridiculous periods of of of, fina- of financial trouble. Yeah, it's it's been very mismanaged in that, you know, in that aspect. The club, they've never been able to make the most out of their profits. Uh, so even even like, you know, your Chivas are popular, and you end up in a position where you have to, you know, where you where you pretty much loan out the club to La Promotora. Right. Who who paid for a 10-year contract. And and so you have 10 years to to get the finances in check, but they weren't able to do it. And uh, Promotora only had the team for nine years. When Vergara came in, he paid out the, the remaining year. And then the socios sold sold their stock in the team, which is another one, man. I would, I would not sell that stock, John. 
they would have to pry it from my cold dead hands. But so I mean, but but you know, I think about it. What 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 could have been going on? And and you know, even though I say this, when I think about it, if you're a social and and you're just putting in money for the club to keep it afloat, it probably does get to the point where you're like, I can't afford this anymore. You know, I said it a few times before. Owning a club can be like having a really expensive hobby. Well, sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's what it is for, you know, at least a lot of the, uh, you know, owners and in, in, in differently. It's not necessarily Liga Mekis, but in Liga Mekis, it's, it's their, it, 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 is, <laughs> it is their business. Yeah, it's their business. So, so they sell it and then, you know, you have Vergara and then I, I think he made some bad moves along the way. One was Angelica, Angelica Fuentes. Who ended up misappropriating funds from from the Omni Life Chiva? Sure, she also did our company. Too. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of money that you know she stole. And the second thing was building the stadium. Uh, I don't think Chivas was in a position to build a stadium. They didn't have the money for it. They borrowed and. You know, because they, they were at the Jalisco, which is owned by Clubes Unidos Jalisco, a Jalisco Stadium, which was Atlas. Uh, it was a couple clubs that had owned stock in that stadium. But I, I think they must have been saving a lot of money, just, you know, putting the bill for everything. Sure. Uh, so yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and it's probably one of the reasons why the tickets are the most expensive in Liga MX, yeah. is because they well, got well, the money back. Yeah, and, and for all that money they spent on the stadium, I mean... You could have had a really good, strong team for a lot of years. Chivas could have had double the silverware they have now. Um, but this is one thing that a lot of fans, a lot of Chivas fans don't know is that. Are you, are you, are you breaking news here? Is this breaking news? No, no, this, this isn't breaking news. Okay, this, right. this is no news. It's just that a lot of times as fans, we don't really follow up. And, and a big reason I know about this was because of Ron. He's not here right now, but. He was very interested in all this. <laughs> he, so when this was going on, he was always he was making sure to throw it in my face. Um, but but it was it was Vergara owned. He already owned the property where the stadium was built, and his he wanted to create the JVC Center, and it was going to be the stadium. It was going to be a it was going to be like a museum. Yeah, he wanted to create Chivas Burgo. Yeah. And and so he was hoping the stadium could kick it all off. But, uh, you know, if, if you talk to fans that go to the stadium, that's the only thing that's there. Right. And it's been what? How many years since the stadium's been there? Uh, it's It's been a while. It's at least yeah. seven or eight. Well, did seven, yeah, it's going off, close. So it, was, it was 2010 then. When... Yeah. So, you know, eight years, so almost a decade, and, and nothing got Nothing got done. It, it backfired, and and even even up until recently, he was still paying off loans. Uh, debt loans. He he owed he owed money for the stadium, and and even recently there was news that they got another loan. So it's you know I think that was a big mistake in Margarita's part building that stadium. Just the location wasn't good for the fans, and. And then just not having the money and having to make really expensive, you know, the the make, making the uh, price the ticket, you know. 
the ticket prices, the increase in ticket prices. So you're saying, it's saying not the best. And, and so looking back, looking at it back eight years later, not the best decision. No. By, by Chivas to, to, to build the, uh, the zombie life. The zombie life? Well, no. See, that's man. the other thing is that I'm sure he was expecting it to be sold out every week. <laughs> so, so when they're expecting 45,000 people show up and, and, and 15 show up, I mean. Yeah, that's. You yeah, know, have, you're missing out on the parking, on the concession. You're missing out on all that. I mean, that is that is a, a big chunk of money. Yeah. You know, I and, mean, and, I guarantee you that if, if he would have had that money, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when uh, when when people logged on to Chivas TV, they, they wouldn't have heard this. And and that was the – They would have made it work. Other, yeah, John, and that was the other big mistake, the whole thinking that they could bypass the TV contract deals because a lot – with Chivas TV and, and it's – and a lot of fans still don't get it. A lot of sponsors are tied to them having a TV contract. So a Chiba game on open air TV, which was on one of the Televisa channels, they were averaging in Mexico 11 million viewers. Chivas TV, they reported was about 500K. So, I mean, if you're, if you're bimbo and you have a contract with them, you know, your product was being it was being shown to 11 million people during the commercial break goes down to what under 500k, which is a big reason they they had like a 20 million dollar lawsuit on them. Right. So I mean, yeah, any new sponsor who who was gonna want to pay them even for the jersey or or the stadium, if if that's how many people they're gonna advertise to. I think that's where they lost a lot of more money. You know, they they spent like what was it over a year without a stadium sponsor. They spent a long time without a main jersey sponsor, uh, and then they lost money on the. Well, when when they when they resigned with Televisa, it was I think for TDN, which is less viewers. It's about six million that. Because you know it's it's on it's a, cable, it's cable, so it gets about six million. So that's a lot of money that they were losing, and then they had to borrow to to make a fancy team to try to sell Chivas TV. Right. So they, right. they spent about close to twenty million on Pulido, and then another fifteen on Pizarro. Yeah, I think it was He's about sixty million. Yeah, for that team when they won the, I think it was about sixty million dollars they had spent. On, the, on getting the Liga MX Campeonato. So the uh, it, it sounds like the bills have come due then for yeah <laughs> yeah they they're getting the yellow yeah the yellow letter now. So so only in Chivas world where they sign a player for twenty million dollars and then sign them off to another team for ten and it's a good deal. Cause, cause... <laughs> well, the Gullit Gullit was for about ten million and then they sold him for what was it two million to the Scottish team yeah. That's a big loss, and, and, and Hulit is now out out of Liga Mexicana <laughs> altogether. Yeah, they asked the Kaishina. They asked and they said no. You know what? I think we should probably. You know, I was I was going to save this for the for for for, for Regio talk, but I think we should go ahead and just throw it and just done. Because I mean, that really is. I think for, for Chivas fans, it's so sad to hear. You know this this this, this great team so poorly mismanaged no. and just and just mismanaged for. <laughs> For, for not even for years, but for decades. Decades. Yes, it's no wonder they've only won five championships. Yeah, after the Campionissimo. In, 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 in the Liga uh, era. You know, that's, uh, 
that that is a lot of tournaments, Joel, where, where Chivas didn't win the championship. No. Yeah. Hey, would you would you say that? Uh, I mean, Chivas is supposed to be a grande, like a big team, and I can see it with the fan base and everything. But as far as the management of the team, no, yeah, much no, right? historically, well, historically they're a big team, you know, for what it means to Mexican football. But as far as big team goes, they're far from it, you know. Big big teams are always fighting for the for the league title. They don't go on ten year. You know, droughts. Uh, yeah, and ten-year droughts. There's, you know, you know, you know, and you could tell because even the fans have been conditioned. Because look how forgiving they are of Almeida. This is the second straight season or tournament without Liguilla. I mean, any big team like Real Madrid, you know, and they they just they won't allow that. I mean, they even kicked out. They kicked out. Um, who was a Capello because they didn't like how he played, and he and he won the league title. You know, we do have a, one, one final opinion on, on Chivas. Before we look, I do want to talk about another big team that was in the news this week. So let's uh, let's see. Chivas, don't make me laugh. All right. <laughs> but but you know Chivas because you know they have all these championships. So I would say we're similar to Uruguay. We were a equipo grande or, once. Or Hungary or Hungary. But, <laughs> no, but Uruguay has like the the two World Cups, and they have like the what was it three three gold medals? Three gold medals, right? They they won all like in the nineteen twenties and thirties. Yeah, so that's were... that's kind of that's kind of and then but you know after what like nineteen fifty they just kind of fell off the radar as far well, as they the, made, they the made really the big teams twice. But uh, I mean they're yeah. I guess I, I guess that kind of would be an, an apt, an apt comparison. Now we should we should talk Cruz Azul, Joel, because no, well, they they made a they made a move today that I think is is, is 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 probably the best move they've made in like twenty years, in my opinion, by bringing in uh, Ricardo Pelaez, you know, a guy who's proven, you know, at, at the at the at the hottest seat of them all. <clears throat> he knows how to put a team together. So, a very bold move by Cruz Azul. I think that they're close, and uh, you know, you know, I think he's going to do the same thing he did at at, at America. He, yeah. you know, he's going to bring. He's not going to bring in guys from wherever. He already did one, John. They got a Peruvian international that was a Lobos Boab. Well, there you um, go. I'm guessing it was a bargain buy. Who's 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 in line to play World Cup with Peru? Yeah, he's actually a, he's one of the starters, if I'm not mistaken, for the Peruvian national team. Yeah, so, I mean, so that's that he instead of he he yeah. built his team, but he built his team from players that already you know had 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 shown success at the Liga Mekis level. Yeah, I like of, your comparison, a chance John. On a bunch of dudes. I like your comparison to Bayern Munich. Oh, did I, when did I do that? It was, it was, um, yeah, that's when we when when Pelais was at America. You were oh. talking about how that's what Bayern Munich does, and you know Bundesliga they they get a lot of the top players from their teams. From the other teams. Yeah, yeah right. from their only. I mean, yeah, they'll still buy, but but majority of the time it's it's the proven players. 
Right, and players that have and proven themselves in the Bundesliga on top of everything else. Yes, yes. So I, I fully expect Belize to, uh, to to make this. So if I were a Cruz Azul fan, I, I would probably be more excited about this move. I, I wish, I wish, I wish, wish, I wish Metal would would uh, would call it in because we, we need to hear from Cruz Azul fans. Yeah, I, I don't think Belize for a lot of fans, even Americanistas, has gotten as much credit as he deserves. Oh. You know, I, just just even when he was leaving, I, I remember seeing Americanistas like celebrating, or they were blaming him for stuff like they didn't have a centenario, you know, centenario party match against a a top club or something like that. Right. Or or they weren't signing because they were comparing their team to like Tigres bringing Gignac. So they're saying, yeah, America's not doing this. Or they're not doing that. They they weren't concentrating on, on the important stuff that their team was pretty much always in the fight. They were winning a title every other tournament. They were. I mean, he's made, you know, ever since he came in with Yoko, like they've, they, they haven't missed the year. They've won what the championship twice with the Coca-Cola. So he, he had a lot of success at, at, at America and uh, definitely has set the blueprint. So I mean, I don't know how any, now the one conflict, potential conflict I see, Joel, is that there is another uh, sphere of influence in the in the world of Cruz Azul that does bring in players, and I'm wondering if if if, if they'll be able to have oh. a, a symbiotic relationship. Of course, we're talking about uh, Mexican. Would he be an, a super agent or a super promotor or whatever it is? Just a, a guy who uh, handles a lot of players, and that's Carlos Hurtado. So, and uh, you know, it, it's not, you know, nothing's ever been confirmed, of course. But the uh, the story has always been, whether you believe it or not, that uh, he has a uh, a very rather large influence on what players Cruz Azul uh, puts on their roster. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he could work with him as long as he brings in players from within the league and not from abroad. Because that's always been the gamble, you know. Like the way they brought Carterucho Quemado, you know. He, he's, he's top goal scorer in Argentina, comes to Mexico and, you know, struggles to score three goals right. all season. Someone forgot to tell Cruz Azul how Argentina went, how the league expanded to 30 teams. So you could easily load up on, you know, you could score goals on like 10 teams that are like still second division material. He did score, however, um, in, the, in the second to last week against Tigres, probably the best goal of the year, in my opinion. Where I mean, it wasn't like a thirty-yard shot, you know, on el angulo or anything like that. It was uh, he 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 controlled the ball, uh, made one move, made a fantastic move. I can't really describe, kind of like a like a little stutter step, but with the ball to to free himself of both the defender and then the keeper had already guessed. He was like, he just all he had to do was just you know yeah. push it in. It was outstanding, and it was like, man, if if, if this guy can do this, not a goal like that. You know, obviously he has a mind to score. You know, it's it's like what you know what 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 has been missing in his game to make him play like that? Because it was an outstanding yeah. goal. Well, who knows if Cruz Azul will keep him? I mean, it it took him long enough to to wake up, you know. Right. But so yeah, so who knows? Who knows what they'll do? 
Now they have been, and you know, and other, and other recently they've had a a dry spell. But but in, in my opinion, at least at least since I've been alive, I don't think there's been a team that's been more consistent than Cruz Azul. And, and we're talking, you know, forty years. So uh, this, the, the, I think Cruz Azul. There's a reason why Cruz Azul has a lot of fans because they they have been winning a lot for a long time. And uh, you know that's like they're going on three generations of uh, of of people seeing their you know their their, their team you know be somewhat successful. So it's good to see them hopefully uh, get back into the uh, back back to their winning ways. Because you know, the reality is, I mean, I mean, I, I do I do enjoy I do enjoy playing this. I'm afraid I just flew myself. But you know, at at some point it becomes a sad joke. <laughs> And we just we just can't do it anymore. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we will be able to retire that. Uh, that yeah. An interview with uh, Ice just a while ago, and he seems really really excited and really confident. So that's that's some that's a big change that I've ever seen about Nathan Cruzazu. So yeah, I see some some hope maybe for them. Yeah, there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel for Cruzazu. I hope that. Uh, you know, and again, I mean, you know, Pelaez to me is, is is the guy. You know, if he can make Rusasud work, then you know we're talking about you know like a director of national. I mean, that's the guy you want to bring in. You know, yeah, and, and he was highly touted because he had a lot of offers. He was just waiting, you know, waiting to see when the right one came along. No, it's it's definitely a good move for. I mean, he gets to stay in Mexico City. I'll tell you, if if, if Pumas made that move, I'd have been thrilled. <laughs> Seriously, I would have been. I would, have been absolutely I, I would be too, John. If he replaced El Lambe, what do you call it? El Pelagatos de, de Vergara, I would be happy as well. Did, no, did I say Pumas? I, I, I thought I said Pumas, not Chivas. Don't tell me. <laughs> no, I'm saying say I'd be happy too. I mean, we have the giraffe. Oh, but... I thought that you were, you were being happy that, that if, if, if Pelagas had gone to Pumas, I was like, well, thank you. That's, that's you know, very honorable of you. <laughs> no, I am. Well, I am glad to see him working huh? because I, I think uh, we don't get to see a lot of like Mexican coaches or GMs or stuff like that. Right, and then you know Rafa Puente was uh, was was hired by Querétaro, so you know he'll have his his ten game trial coming up you know, in, in the upcoming season. I mean, I, I wish I wish I was kidding. I wish I was kidding. Yeah. Oh man. I wish I was kidding. You know, hopefully, hopefully it work out for him. So Turco left, Turco left Monterrey. Monte, Monterrey fans have just, I mean, I, I was hoping that my friend, the, the Regio Desconsolado would call in, but, uh, he hasn't called in yet, but we, we really, I mean, I, I, I do have another version that we can play. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just awful. Just awful. Also, dedicatoria to, to the senator. We haven't yes, forgotten him. That's right. <laughs> uh, our, and of course, to all of the, we have a lot of Tigres fans that listen to us. Yes. So we do want to, we do want to send our heartfelt condolences to them for, for, for them to watch their team play them just the most listless. It was, it was a, a Copa Emeki's group game intense. I mean, it was, uh, what can you say about the Tigres in the way? Chiquis, you're a, you're, you're a plastic Tigres fan. How, how turned <laughs> off, how turned off were you by, 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 by the way that Tigres, uh, Approached the, the 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 second leg of that game. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bad. I wasn't I wasn't amused by all of this. You yeah. know, I understand playing defensively. 
I do. I think I and and, and especially if you have, if you have a two goal lead where all you have to do is, you know, I I, I get that. That's uh, um, that's fine. But to uh, the, uh, the 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 lack of intensity is what is what I don't get, Cheeky. I mean, what I think it's I think it's sort of um part part of it not really overconfident but sort of an air of superiority where they have all these players and it comes from it transmits from players and i think one of them is Noel. he's always been you know really arrogant in, in the way he plays and, and you know and, and and the scary part about it is, is that, you know we talk about you know how is it that tuca loses all these finals i was watching uh univision deportes and they ran the 10 worst goalie gaffes by Noel. The fact that that, that that you're a goalie and you have ten to choose from should tell you something. But more, more half of, if not more than half of, like I, I don't know the exact number, but a good number of them were were gaffes that he made in 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 Liga in finals. You know, just just these just these these boner moves. <laughs> and uh, I mean, bra- you know, a a, a a classic brain chart, okay. if you would. Yeah, this, there's been plenty. Um, and another thing is, and this is going to insult your boy, but, uh, Tuca, just the way, and that's just his personality. He, I don't think it's arrogance or anything like that. He'll, he's, he's even made some good responses after the game, but, um, just like his stoic sort of calm attitude during a lot of the games, uh, sometimes not, uh, you know, no offense, Chiggies, but, but the, <laughs> the last thing I, I would call Tuca is stoic. He gets very fiery on the side. I mean, you may not see it, but he will. He does, but he's, does he, 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 like he's falling asleep or something. Well, you know. No, I do think Tuca is is, you know, he's married to his ways. He has a system. He's he plays a certain way, and he's, you know. You know, as much as that's people what want has. To... Go ahead, Cole. Let's finish. No, that's what has worked for him. You know, I had said it a while back. Because Tigres, to me, should be more dominant than they are, you know. No, le voy a discutir con usted. <laughs> and so I had said it. They should. They need another coach. I think they already took us, giving him all he has, and uh, he wins. He wins another league title soon after. <laughs> so I mean, well, here's. He, I am a a card carrying Tuca apologist. I'm not going to apologize yes. for Tuca for their. For, for the way that they came out, cause, cause they were flat. And, you know, for Ligia, I mean, I understand that they're professionals and Tuka's, you know, I'm sure he's like, you know, boys, you know what to do. You know, I'm sure that was the, the motivational speech that, the, that they got from him. But, but there is, there really is no, I mean, you know, I, again, you know, play defensively, but be aggressive. And the minute you dislodge them, you know, deep in your end, you know, you know, look for that counterattack. They just, they just weren't doing that. They, they were dispossessing and just, uh, you know, maybe just kicking it wherever and just, you know they were they were playing at, at, at three quarter speed, so I, I do blame Tuca for that. I will not blame Tuca, however, for for Nahuel Guzman's ridiculous, like ridiculous uh, gaff that he had to to let that, that that goal should have never been scored. I mean that was that that was a a, a routine <clears throat> stop that he makes in his sleep. You know, and same, for him to misjudge that is just yeah. And same in the Chivas final, he yes, he and, 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 and in the Cup final, I mean. People say, you know, why didn't Monterrey win more titles? I mean, point point to that. Guy. I mean, that guy has has been responsible for for at least three uh, uh, finals where where was 
you know, one of his mistakes led to. You're talking about the team is not winning. You're talking about the Janini goal, the last uh, the game. Yes. Okay, interesting. I, I didn't really. I looked at it a few times, but I didn't really think it was fully his fault. I thought it was just enough. Oh, come on, dude! It was, it was, it was, go- it wasn't going super fast, but it was just enough speed to like whip off his gloves. I, I'll have to look at it again. I'd like to hear Dan's opinion on that, but it seemed it seemed a, a pretty good shot. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully Dan will will, will join us. Dan was on with us earlier. Hopefully, he will uh, rejoin us here in a second. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, so, so, so that to me, I, you know, you know, they had, they had what they wanted. I guess Santos had gotten the goal, but Santos really didn't do much. Uh, uh, well, I take it back. And then in the first half, after Santos got the goal, they, they probably should have scored again, but they didn't. So Dignes was able to withstand the, the, the charge, you know, and, and you waste a lot of energy doing that. So, but they did, they never wanted to make a pen. And, and that's what I don't understand. Like, so, you know, where was that, where was that super counterattack that you've seen Dignes do yeah. over and over again? Well, yeah, and Tigres, I mean, I, I can understand why the Tigres directiva holds on to Tuca. You know, he, he might lose some big matches, but he hasn't played those big games. And and I know a lot of people could say that they spend a lot of money on on top transfers, and Tigres had done that before and were nowhere near as consistent as they have been. So, yeah, under Tuca, they won four league titles. They won... uh one Copa MX, two Copa de Campeones, and an Interliga, now defunct. Interliga. So that's that's about it. And then they did reach the Copa Libertadores final. So that's a subcampeonato. I'll count it just because it's not an easy tournament to to compete in. To not be forgotten. Um so I mean yeah, and you know interesting interesting fact, John. All of all of Tuca's uh, league titles have been aperturas. That that is uh, that is incorrect, sir. It is incorrect. Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna, have to call, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to disagree. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it, man. I wish I was on the right page. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, that's just. See now, 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 now I've lost the ball. What's going on? What is? If there was a second division of of of, of podcast hosts, right, I would have been relegated. No! Right now. Yeah. <laughs> no! No! That's what, that's that's what happened because I, I can't I can't find this. Uh, oh man! This particular clip. What's going on? Well, I was going to play the one from uh from 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 Billy Madison. It was like that may have been. Oh. The, uh, you know, in the history of a, it's, but I, but I can't find it. It's, I thought I had it. I guess I don't have it. Oh well. Never mind. Moving like, on. Moving it, on. It went up. Oh, wait, hold on a second. Unam Clausura 2009. That's right. Clausura 2009. They beat Pachuca. That Unam? was when, uh, when, when Pablo Barrera no. scored the winning goal. I'm, I'm talking about with, with Tigres. Oh, with Tigres. Oh, I thought you were just talking about, uh, oh, that, Puma, that Puma stuff. Come on, John. <laughs> Get, get off of the. Get off of the no, no. The no, league. no. I mean, I mean, just league, just yeah, league. League is all apertura. Yeah, league. Just as league campeonatos have all been apertura, so maybe the next one, you know, <laughs> your odds, your odds would be better. 
Oh, you know what? I have this. I have this one clip that's not labeled. Did I play it last week? Let's see. I don't. I, I don't know what. I have no idea what this is. El América oh. es una mierda. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, oh that's terrible. I should play. Was that meant for search? I need to delete that for my uh, <laughs> for my little path here. What is that was that was unfortunate. <laughs> I'm not sure where that. Oh, I, I think I think I've been hacked. I think I've been hacked. I would I would never I would cut, never cut, I would never Russian hackers. never play any kind of clip like that for any other team. I just want you to know that. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Well, it, it was well, it, it, it's a it's a good. Uh, well, yes, yes. Go ahead, just, please. Just to finish off on the Tuka talk. He announced his retirement, so if I'm not mistaken, 2020? Yeah, 2020. So he's got two more so, years. And he's staying in Tigres where, as I said, uh, Elinke and, and uh, you know, they they really like him there. And I could see why. So, but, but we've seen some fans already has have lost some patience with with the Brazilian, you know, but uh, but I'm sorry, but I mean, no, no offense to, to Tigres fans, and I know we have a couple of Tigres fans listening to us, and a, a, a shout out. Who's a who's a, the guy that reached out to us? Uh, El Bodi, Chiquis. Eduardo. El Bodi. Well, we, we had a few. Eduardo D. Eduardo D. Well, a big shout out to Eduardo D. For the, he's a big big fan of the podcast, and, we, and also uh, Bobby. And and Bobby, so, big Tigres. I think one of them was uh, has 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 married into a Tigres. Yes. His family is that correct? He went the Ralph Schneider path. He did. Can you he, ask he, him if he was Monterrey before that? You know, I, I did the uh, one of those uh, Socio Mekis games. I was the uh, the spotter on the field for the one in San Antonio, and I was walking after the game was over. And I was walking to the parking lot. Uh, there was uh, there was a, a a lady pushing a baby that had a you know a Tigres, and I was like, I was like, it's a little too early for that. And uh, and then and then the husband was like tell me about it and he, and he pulls out his wallet and he has a picture you know sh- showed me a picture of him and his in his Monterrey shirt and I was like it's like dude I don't it's like <laughs> like I, I, I yeah I don't I don't, don't want I don't I don't want to get involved in anything going on over there. Well, I say Monterrey takes the prize, man. When they do the close-ups on the female fans, I think they they take the cake. Yeah, uh, you know there there's a you know a lot of. Uh, that's the fesses, the fesses. A lot of informed, uh, a lot of informed uh, opinions that say that, that that Monterrey does have the uh, the prettiest women in Mexico. They, they do, man. I, I used to be, I used to take pride. They used to be Chivas a long time ago. Even Bracamonte's uh, daughter was Miss Mexico, but that was many years ago. It, it shifted, John. It has. It has shifted. So the uh, what is going on with uh, with with Monterrey? You know, another team that was just uh, you know, obviously they're they're in in right now negotiating uh, supposedly with uh, supposedly rather with uh, with Chivas. So 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 they lose to Tijuana again on on just an unlucky an unlucky goal and then a you know but but another listless performance by by Monterrey and then they lose uh, they lose their 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 coach at Turco. Turco Mohamed 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 is no longer the uh, coach of Monterrey, so the, we're not going to get that uh, you know the very sharply dressed man uh, look that we uh, had been had grown accustomed to seeing yeah. from Turco. Hey man, he lost two really tough finals. The one against Pachuca, where they were clear favorites, 
in stoppage time of the second half of the <laughs> second half. And then to lose to Tigres is just it's just wow. You know that was just a, a tough speaking, one. Speaking of that, Hoyt, I'm sure you're aware that there was there was another uh, another final that was played at Monterrey Stadium that Tigres won in the Liga MX Femenil. The Tigres' <laughs> women's team beat Rayados again. <laughs> That a, a crowd of over fifty thousand. So, so that is that is now twice now that 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 Tigres has won a championship on on the uh, the Tamaleros home soil, where Monterrey still has yet to win one. So Tigres has won more championships in Monterrey Stadium than, than right now than than Monterrey has. That has to be a bitter a bitter pill for for Rayado fans to swallow. And it is yeah. you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I'm saying it's going to be interesting how how both of those teams are going to bounce back, you know, from from this. Because to me, this is the one big descalabro, and and it's not being talked to as much. Those are the two the two strongest clubs or the, the in the league, and they just underperformed. They well, they underperformed. They didn't. They underperformed in the, in the Liguilla, and that's always the, uh, you know, what, what is the what is the barometer for for a fracaso of the stuff? So, where these teams should should they have made was it final or bust for, for these, these two sides? Yeah, considering who they played, I, I would say they were both favorites to win their, to you know, to win their matchups. And is 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 losing a game in the in the Liguilla before World Cup reason for a fan to to curse out, <laughs> rip his shirt off and burn it for he for the whole world to see? He, he threatened to kill him, John. <laughs> well, that's even worse. <laughs> was, yeah. I mean, really, guy. I know. I know. I know that it, you know. You know, for all Tigres fans, yes. They lost, but understand that that, that 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 the next league the next league starts in like six weeks, guys. So there's there's you know the games are coming. You guys are gonna you know, and then you have like a month of preseason games. So you really only have a month off, and then in that month the World Cup is gonna be on. So I I think I think it'll be okay, Tigres fan. Now we do have a couple of new uh, you know Tigres fans that have, that are you know new to Tigres, you know, and you can you can use that as as an argument against the Rayal. Say, hey man, we've won more championships in your stadium than you have. Both men and women, and you know, until they win one, that is an argument that you will always win. I mean, that that that, that would be the drop the mic. You know, you can you can walk away from that one, or as George did, I'm out. You know, just and walk out. <laughs> On the other hand, we also have a, a lot of Chivas fans in the past few days wanting to abandon in Oh, Pizarro. Pizarro. That's, that's social media, though. Um, you know. Well, so is the old <laughs> oh yeah, that one dude, yeah, but but it's 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 the whole don't buy don't buy these products. Don't well, buy. let's talk about. I was hoping that uh, that Rigo uh, uh, Ratonayara would join us because he is a uh, a pizarrista, as it were. Yeah, pizza world. And I'm I am wondering if if this this label of idolo being thrown around with him is if he has done enough to receive that particular moniker. I'm of the, I, I'm an old school guy. I believe that, 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 that if you're going to call anybody any, 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 any kind of deification term like that, 
then they have to be people that have that that that, that have 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 shown a level of play that that is you know unequal in the, in the in the history of that of that franchise or 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 equaled by maybe one or two people. And I, I think I can say without prejudice that Rodolfo Pizarro has not lived up to that. Stand. Will he one day? Possible, but up to this point, no. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, really idolo, idolo guys. It's uh, let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's let's pump the brakes on. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's as Bill Parcells once said, let's let's put away the anointing oil and just let the guy play. That's, that's that's just the passion of fans. And, uh, sometimes it goes overboard to to where that's that's why I plan well, sort of his um, realist type of thinking. Even though he's a cheap fan, some, some guys are so much you know, just Pisado and, and and what's his name trophies are like should be in Real Madrid right now and are better than. <laughs> Uh, well, trophies should be at Real Madrid right now, and and he is he's very close to, if not probably on the same level as as Ronaldo right now. Let's oh yeah, let's let's be realistic. I mean, we did have our 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 stats guru join us a few weeks ago, Tom Tom Harrison, and we asked him. If if Trophies was the third or fourth best player in the world, and he said he's just below Mo Salah, <laughs> Trophies. So, and he's, you know, he he's a statist. Numbers don't lie, Chikis. He he is a statistician. Those numbers. Well, I had some issue with some of those numbers. Like estimate. some of those numbers are estimates. Uh, expected goals uh, against against the team based on where they were shot from. On target, it's a, but interesting nonetheless. It's just a little for me. It's a little maybe I don't understand it full, fully, but for a little bit of both math. Well, I'm not sure about goals and expected goals, but I, I will have to agree with uh, with Tom Harrison that Trophies is probably right now the fourth the fourth best player. You know, and 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 luckily for him, because the, both Picolins finally retired, so they can, you know, they've. It's it's kind of like when you're when you're at, at the club and you see the tennis ladder and you you want to be on you have to like beat the guy ahead of you. But now that now that beat the Picolins are gone, then you know trophies could go ahead and move up the move move up the ladder there to to to, to take his rightful place among the among the world's the world's elite. Picolins will hold his hand. Yes, they will. They they will. You're exactly right. <laughs> the, the trophy stands on the shoulders of giants. There's. <laughs> There is no question question about that. No question about that. Gentlemen, so we have a league yeah, we have uh, a couple of games tomorrow. Uh I was I was hoping that we would be able to to, to podcast during the games tomorrow, but like like the second one doesn't start to like it's late even for California. So uh so that's why we're doing this today. But you know, John Arnold earlier said, you know, you know, he's looking at the at Toluca and America, and uh, frankly, I don't see how it's it's not going to be Toluca America that they both win and win pretty easily. Aunque te duela, Joel. Santos. I see all this stuff about America as the favorite to win all, and I don't really see that. Maybe a week from this team. 
and then that, have, their season wasn't all that great. So I'll have to admit the producer in me uh, wants to see America Toluca and then wants to see Toluca win and yeah. then win controversially, like on a terrible <laughs> refereeing decision, just just to know what Ron's reaction would be. I think that that would be. Uh, uh yeah. Or and even said I don't and even Sergio if Sergio's still listening to us, that would be uh, just uh you know that that would be good podcasting right there. It, it, is it, it's to get those uh those reactions. Because for whatever reason Ron just has this he has a bee in his bonnet uh about Toluca, which just which just cracks me up. It's 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 uh, it's a very interesting. And Joel, I'm not gonna make assumptions. But I would have to assume that the that that the, the salieron unos cuadritos when uh, when you watch Toluca play America for probably the same reason. No, I'm not. I'm not in that anymore, John. No. No, I'm past that. I used to be, and I want I want I want the other team to fail. Like for example, I wanted America to reach the Conca Champions final. I wanted to see a Classical final. Right. Yeah. So I'm not, no, I, I transcended that. Well, see, I, I wasn't expecting, I, 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 was, I wasn't saying that you want to see America fail. I, I just think that, that, that deep down, I think that you're, that you're, uh, that, that, that you're, that, that you're, you're a Toluca fan that really wants to get out. No. <laughs> no, no, not, nothing like that. No. You wanted to see America go to the final. Yeah. It's more, uh, more flavorful. Well, America Toluca would actually be a very, uh, a very entertaining. I don't think they've ever met in the final. You know, something Dan would come on because uh, I do think that, uh, you know, you know, Santos certainly has a chance, but if, if they don't have Janini, or the uh why oh, I said cuz I think Ron was a fan at some when he was at uh ready well Sambu's a great player and uh you know Sambu came through uh, he went he went to, actually he played for Tuca at, at Pumas if I'm not mistaken when he, when he when he first came up and then they shipped him off to Tecos and that's where he uh, met uh they were relegated and then when when uh when Piojo went to America, he, he was the guy that everyone was just laughing at him. Really, this is the guy you want to bring over? And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And it was obviously a move that worked out. So, and that was with the uh, the, the, the unholy alliance of, of Piojo and, and Pelaez that just, uh, you know, did a, an unbelievably good job of building a, a very solid, uh, a very solid foundation that to this day, has 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 bore fruit to, to America. I mean that that happened like 2013. That this is what five six years later, and they're still playing very well. They're still making the yes, and they're still you know they've they've won a couple of uh they've won a couple of championships. Don't act like you're not impressed. So, aunque nos duela. Although Chiki's not as much, I think Chiki's you're you're also kind of a, like a secret America fan too. I think that it's uh, uh there's some times when I uh... yeah cuando le pones la crema a los tacos yeah a little bit 
not too much. Certain depends on the situation. Opponent. Lots of things. So, do you? Uh, who, who do you think is going to advance? Then, Chiquis, do you, do you see a, an America Toluca final, or do you think it's going to be uh, Tijuana or or Santos that uh, that, that breaks through? Uh, I think America could could break through. Might just be the influence of the the, the news and social media and everything. Uh, I still think that America isn't playing all that great from the regular. Lift and things like that, but I think this is going to be a tough match against Santos. Um, but if they do pass, I think it's going to be pretty hard. So, so you, you, uh, I was, you were breaking up a little, but you, you're saying uh, America, but in, in a much tougher tie than people think is going to happen. Yeah, America is going to have a tough battle against Santos. But if they get to the final, they're going to get spanked. Spanked. Chiquis calls a a, a a Toluca spanking. I'll have to look that up in the Urban Dictionary. A, a, a Toluca spanking. I wonder if it uh, might might have might have other means. What about you, Joel? What is your uh, your prevailing thoughts on I, uh, these upcoming games? Yeah, I see Toluca winning the series over Tijuana. There's a team, and they've been together much longer with Cristante at the helm. Um, you know, they already tasted some defeat in the cup against Necaxa. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those learning. So, I, I yeah, I give them the edge. And then I think America Santos could go either way. Now, one thing that, uh, that probably gets lost that uh, people won't really think about in the Tijuana Toluca series is Tijuana plays at sea level. Yeah, and they're gonna play <laughs> second leg in Toluca, which is the highest stadium in in the Mekis as far as altitude. So if, uh, if Tijuana of... if Tijuana has to chase the game, good luck. Yeah, and 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 uh, America also closes the series, right? Uh, they do. Yeah. So the first game is going to be in Torreon, and then the second game is That's... which is uh, very very uh, very fortunate for America because playing in Mexico City at seven o'clock is is Nothing compared to playing in Torreon at seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah, well, see, and that could hurt Santos, you know, uh, just because um, I think the tiebreaker is in favor of America. Well, yeah, but the uh, I don't think they have the. I could be wrong, but I don't think the uh, the way goal the, the higher well the way goal for sure, but the second tiebreaker in the quarterfinals was the higher you know higher. Oh, it's not anymore. I think that it's going straight to extra time if it's ah yes. If it's time, I, be, I believe okay. that's the case. I believe that's the case. I could be wrong. It, it's still a big advantage closing at home. And if I'm not mistaken, did America already beat Santos at Azteca? Uh, they did. It was actually it was like two weeks ago. It was the last game. Of the yeah. Season. So I mean, I think I'll put them as slight favorites. I still think that match could go any which way. Um, but it's it's. It's I think of the of all the coaches right there in Liga MX, Piojo is the most experienced. Oh, he 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 is at that for sure. There's there's no question. Yeah, Santos guy is he's his first, you know, it's his first shot in, in 
de Chesiboldi. He's done a really great job. Cristante uh, um, hasn't been around that long, but he's been doing really good. And then, um, who's that, an Argentine guy for Tijuana? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he just... He just arrived recently, if I'm not mistaken. So, but I, I think these little details a lot of times count. They do, and 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 and, and Colmillo, and we call Colmillo. Right, and and America has that in spades, uh, probably more so than anyone else <clears throat> left in the. Uh, I mean, that's really uh, well, except for Toluca, because you know the player that has the most Colmillo left in this tournament is Sambuesa. Sambu, and he's so. Yeah, he's gonna be. In the salt home. So, yeah, I would say that's the the favorites to be in the final will be Toluca America. But uh, I still think Santos has a, has a good shot. So and you we, would not be surprised to see Santos have see a Santos. We, we were talking about, yeah, we talked about it in this podcast, John. Remember, we were telling uh, any boy that the final could be Saints versus Devils. That's right. <laughs> That's right, yeah. and, the, and the last time that happened, uh, Chepo uh, in, in penalty kicks <laughs> prevailed. Yes, the 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 devils, the the devil did it <laughs> in uh, in that particular in that particular final. That was like to, to the Bicentenario final, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. In fact, both both of Chepo's uh, championships at the Luca were both won from the, at the penalty spot. So. Yeah, so in the final, away goals don't. I think away goals don't even matter in the final. If it's tied, it goes to extra time. Period. Okay. Yeah, I I, I believe that those those and you know that that's actually how it should be. Uh, I would I would even say that in the in the in the first round that the uh, the lower seed has to win the tie. They can't tie it. They have to win it. Yeah, it's to advance. Yeah, it's a really good matchup, and Santos America should be really entertaining. Santos has Tijanini, who's he was the the league top goal scorer. He is, but he's also injured. And, he injured himself uh, in again. Okay. Yeah, he injured his shoulder. So, <laughs> oh man, yeah, private area on that goal. So is he gonna miss both games or? Well, that I'm, we're 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 still not sure. I'm not sure if he's gonna miss both of them or not. No, see, that's that's another thing about Noel. Noel did this ridiculous thing where he was you know, quote unquote injured. You know, he was writhing around like you know, like like, like someone had uh, had uh, shot him. You know, for for a good minute, minute and a half. You know, of course, then he gets up and he's fine. And it was on a play where 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 in, in no way would he would have ever been injured. And that's the kind of stuff he does. And it just to me, it's like. Dude, just play the game. All that stuff does is add stoppage time to the end of the game. But did you see what it also? Wasn't was injured, and he went and he pushed on the accelerator of the the golf cart with the thing off the field quicker. Oh, that's right. He was doing like pretty much the opposite of what he did earlier, like hypocritically. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way they, the way they make some shit. Yeah, well, to me, uh, stuff like that, I mean, I understand, you know, wasting a little time here and there, but but to make big theater, I mean, I remember the uh, in the Women's World Cup, the semifinal between Brazil and the U.S., and Brazil was winning, and they were doing the same thing. Every foul, they would roll around, I mean, every single time. So what ended up happening was 
instead of the game being over, you know, with two or two minutes stoppage, they added like four, it was like four or five or maybe even six minutes stoppage time. Because the whole time they were sitting, and guess what happened? The U.S. tied, and then they ended up beating them in overtime. Uh-huh. All because they were writhing around like idiots, thinking that they were gonna that they were wasting time. All they all they're doing is adding time. They're not wasting time; they're adding time. And uh, yeah, so for for Nahuel, to me, it, you know, I always think that if you're gonna make you know big mistakes like that, then, then you know maybe, maybe this is a good time for uh, for Tigres to make a move with that that position because. He's cost them uh, at the at the absolute uh, moment of truth. You know, we haven't really talked Tijuana much on this on this show, and uh, we probably should because I know we have a lot of Tijuana fans that that, that 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 do listen in. But I'll be honest, that that is a team that I just for whatever reason just do not follow in the Yankee. So I'm not, I'm not sure why that is, but it's it's just not not a team that uh, I. They're not on my on my particular radar. Chicky said, "Are you, do you are, are Tijuana games appointment television for you?" Uh, no, not really. They do get a lot of social media coverage, so I, I check them out a little bit. But yeah, it's not a team that I take seriously, <laughs> unfortunately. But they, you know, they play well. They're impressive. Nice. Well, you know, they're in league. I make you stay. I think that, that that's that this is gonna be one of those teams that. Uh, they won their promotion, and I don't think they're going to be going anywhere for well, definitely for the next couple of years, but for for a while, you know, which is good because you know Tijuana is, uh, you know, as far as population centers, it's pretty large, and it has the added benefit of having the uh, the population right across the border in San Diego. So I know we had uh, Nate Aburre on uh, last year. Maybe we, we might have to, especially if they make the uh, the final, we might have to have someone come and give us an education. A re-education, as it were, on all things Cholo Squintles. <clears throat> Joel, have you gone down to it, uh, a game at Tijuana? I have not, sir. Had made plans with El Profe Cambiarrayas, and they fell through. Yeah. And have have you gone down for to Tijuana for other reasons, Joel? No, <laughs> I haven't been there in years. I see. Very interesting. Hey, but Chavos, I have to get going. Well, I was I was just about to say the same thing. Right? It's probably a, a, good, a, good, a good spot. We've talked about everything we need to talk about. And uh, we got into the Chivas Crisis Center. So, uh, Hoyle, you got unfettered access to the Chivas. You were the, like, you were the only one man in the phones, and you got to let it all out. You got to let I it did. all out. I'm sure, I'm sure it was very cathartic for you. Well, Joel, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank here you, Yohan. The podcast. We will see you next week. Don't forget, Joel, next week we, uh, we're hoping to have uh, someone to give us a, uh, uh, an English perspective on, on, their, on their group uh, group G. So we'll have to oh, – you know, nice. it might be Wednesday or Thursday. We'll, we'll, we'll see what day we can make that. So we might have another special Wednesday edition Nice next week as well. So keep that in mind. Chiquis, uh, time for us uh, to go. Right. Uh, do you uh, do you hope that, uh, like I do, that uh, Diego Alonso might become the next Pumas coach? Uh, yeah, that sounds good. He's a skinny, a skinny jeans guy, right? No, Diego Alonso was uh, the guy at Pachuca. Uh, oh. He's been there for the, and he was a former. You know, he was uh, a player when when Hugo was coach at Pumas. He's a, he's a Uruguayan. And he's done. He's done great at Pachuca. You know, he's overseen. You know, their 
or are a part of what they've done at the academy too. And obviously, their academy has been over the past uh, you know six or seven years has been outstanding. So if you could bring you know and infuse some of that knowledge into what is obviously not working at Bumas, then you know it'll definitely be a a good move for them. Hopefully, that'll happen. They need something because Nico's gone. Apparently. Yeah, but that was going to happen. I mean, there was there was no way that a, a player that as good as Nico was 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 never going to last at Pumas very long. That's just the unfortunate reality of of, the, of today's Pumas. So, yeah, it was uh, that that was only a matter of time, and I'm sure he'll go to uh, either America or you know somewhere uh, somewhere in Europe because he's 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 a very talented player. It was unfortunate that, uh, that, that, that that's you know one thing we should probably end up you know just um, you, you don't want to lose six two, especially the arrival. But the reality of of that series was that Pumas was just completely overmatched, and there was there was no way that that wasn't going to end six <laughs> two, which is which is sad for me to say as a Pumas fan. But that's just as uh, Raúl Orbañano says, esa es la realidad. <laughs> So, and and but Pablo Barrera almost scored the goal of his life in the, in that in that in that. Did you see that run? No, I didn't see that. It was at the Azteca, so he gets it from inside his midfield straight. It just goes on a full on tear. It runs by like four or five guys, and then gets to the area and just had just come run out of gas. And he was trying to chip the goalie, and uh, he did, but it just like right in the goalie's hands. If we just you know give it like three or more feet, it would have been a great. Uh, a great goal, but uh, yeah, he did. It's like at the end, like the, at the end of the play, poor guy. He was he was on his hand. Well, he was had his hands on his knees for a good minute, minute and a half. He did not move. I mean, it was it was a hell of a good. Right? It was it was it was it was an admirable effort. But again, Pumas just just doesn't have the talent to compete with uh, with the top level teams in Liga MX, and uh, hopefully that will that will change over the next uh, year or two if they do bring in Diego Alonso. So hopefully that'll be the case for Pumas fans because we. Uh, as a Pumas fan, uh, speaking, that is something that we do need to see because the alternative, unfortunately, for Pumas fans is not very uh, – does not look very good. The outlook is not good on that. Chiki, it's time for us to go. Uh, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap it up here? Do you want to get anything else off your chest? There was something. I forgot it. I forgot it, though. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's it. All right then. Well, hopefully you'll you'll remember that uh, we, we 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 should allow ourselves on our show like our our our, our 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 each have a final comment and then we'll wrap it up. We'll we'll, we'll start doing that uh, next week. But like I said, uh, we, we want to thank John Arnold for for joining us here on the podcast a little earlier, talking uh, Group B with Costa Rica. Just to recap what he said, uh, very pragmatic. Uh, doesn't expect uh, Costa Rica to advance, but would not be surprised if they did. It just uh, things have to bounce a certain way for for that to happen, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. And uh, he does expect uh, Brazil to win the group and then Switzerland to take the uh, second uh, spot in that group. And uh, so we do thank him for coming on, and uh, we do wish him the best of luck in his uh, travels to uh, Russia over the next few weeks. And I want to thank uh, Daniel Preciado for hopping on, and Joel Aceves, and Albert Campa for coming on. My name is John Jagu. This is the Cantina Mekis podcast that we are on live, uh, usually Thursdays. This is a special Wednesday edition uh, on YouTube. And, of course, you can download this and our previous editions of the podcast from the podcast center on your iPhone or iPad. My name is John Jagu. We will talk to you guys again next week here on the Cantina Mekis podcast. <laughs>